What's going on, fellow A-plusers? It is I, your host, as always, Adam Perez, back once again with a brand new episode of A-plus Hero Report, your weekly stop for your Marvel, DC, television, and movie news, streaming live for you guys, live over on YouTube. We're also live over on Facebook, as well as Twitch for you guys. Uh, and also, at the end of this recording, we will be putting this video up on Spotify for you guys, if you love your audio versions. But Spotify does now also carry video. So if you would like to go ahead and follow us on Spotify, please go ahead and do so. There is a link in the description box below, guys. But uh, hey, late evening, Sunday uh, um, wrap up here for you guys. I uh, had to maneuver around the time a little bit here this week, but I'm so glad that everybody certainly got the opportunity to join us today. Uh, feel free to also go ahead and submit your live viewer questions. We currently do have a post up there if you want to go ahead and submit something over. Um, so we're going to be wrapping up your weekend properly before we head into Wednesday, uh, excuse me, to head into Monday. And it's not just myself. I got my good old co-host certainly coming back once again, Stuart Branscombe in the house. What's going on, buddy? Good to see you, man. Hey, uh, good to see you too. How have you been? Uh, pretty good, man. Uh, I apologize, guys, if we came live a couple minutes late here. We were having a little bit of technical difficulties there for a little bit in regards to getting both of our mics uh, and headphones and everything situated before today's show. But uh, I'm doing good, uh, Stuart. It's good to see you, man. Um, not a bad weekend. I actually went to a, a Carlos Santana concert last Ooh. night. Yeah, yeah. The um, uh, my girlfriend's sister Alexis uh, wind up having an extra ticket. Um, they had purchased these tickets actually last year. I think Carlos was actually here in the DFW area, and he wind up getting sick. Um, so he had to cancel his concert, and I think this is sort of like the the makeup. Um, but I got invited this time around. We took him for we we. It was myself, my gr the girlfriend Alexis, uh, along with um, their parent, their father um, Manny. He joined us. It was really for him because he was he's a huge Carlos Santana fan, uh, and he loves he absolutely loves music and playing instruments and stuff. So um, it was a really cool experience, man. I've always wanted to see Carlos Santana. I've got some hits, you know, for me, Maria Maria. Uh, was like at the prime time in my life uh, growing up um, in the early 2000s, if you will. And so I, um, I absolutely love that song. And he's got a couple other classics, obviously, but um, it was a really fun night, man. I had, I had a great time. Sounds like a blast. That's awesome. Yeah, man. Um, have you ever seen Carlos uh, Santana in concert? Or what, have you, what's the last concert that you, you've been to? God, last concert I went to, I think it's actually been a minute. It was a ninja sex party when they were here in San Francisco. Uh, I think that was like back in 20, it was either 2018 or 2019. It was definitely like before the pandemic. Uh, and yeah, I haven't been to a concert since uh, the pandemic. Yeah, it's been a minute, man. Um, I've seen my fair share. Um, um, my Chemical Romance, I think, was one of my biggest ones that I've had the opportunity to go see. It was a, a blast, uh, and I had that e I had that like emo phase of like dashboard confessional for a moment, you know. Um, so yeah, uh, I've never been to a used concert, but I definitely would like to. Um, but I've, I've been to a few, so I've, I've, I really enjoy concerts, man. I, we need to get, go back out, man, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, whenever whenever there's uh, next time there's one in the area, I'll probably go to. There's actually, I think I mentioned this before, is that there's one that goes on at the park that's like uh, a few blocks away from where my apartment's at. So Green Day was one of the bands that were actually playing, and we I could like literally hear them from the apartment. Like it's like, oh, we almost don't even need to go to this one. <laughs> uh, I, I would love to see uh, Green Day in concert, man. I on my bucket list, I would love to see Red Hot Chili Peppers 
Uh, and I know they're getting old, man. I know they're getting old. And this is going to show my age, but Aerosmith, uh, you know, if, oh, if, nice. I can, if I can ever catch an Aerosmith concert, uh, that would be heaven for me just to say I've actually seen them perform. Um, yeah. So there are a couple people like I'm like, I, I missed out on the Michael Jackson phase, unfortunately, you know, never got a chance to go to a Michael Jackson concert. Uh, so there's just some really great artists uh, that are still around that I think uh, if you if you've always wanted to go ahead and get the opportunity to see them, see them now, you know, because you think mm -hmm. you may not be around forever. So. Definitely go ahead and check out a concert when you can. Oh, yeah. Um, so what is so you've been up to, Stuart? How's your week been going, man? Uh, it's been a pretty chill week. I uh, haven't been up to uh, anything new or anything like that, but, you know, just another chill week. Sounds good, man. Uh, well, you know what? Let's go ahead and get into some of our honorable mentions for the week for you guys. Uh, some topics that didn't quite necessarily make the cut, um, but felt that we certainly needed to go ahead and bring to your attention. Um, real quick, um, so I'm just going to throw these out here. Um, uh, Oppenheimer dropped a brand new poster this past week. Uh, this is the upcoming Christopher Nolan film. Um, looks like it's that um, July 21st. Um, just from the trails that I've seen so far, it looks pretty epic in scale. Um, Christopher Nolan really does talk pretty highly about this film. Uh, and you tell me Christopher Nolan's dropping a brand new film. I I'm there, Stuart. Um, so, um, I, I love the look of this, po this poster, but, uh, what are your thoughts? How do you like the poster, man? Um, uh, love it. You know, it, it's just like really funny because if I didn't know this was based on like, you know, the atomic bomb and everything, I would have assumed this was a complete like new original sci-fi movie just from the looks mm. of it, like a stylized side, which I mean, it might be, we still don't fully have an idea of what this movie is. Yeah. Like I have a feeling there that he's going to like pull a rug underneath us and it's going to turn out to be like kind of a, uh, historical sci-fi fiction type of movie. So like have oh. historical like facts in there, but I feel like just cause it's Christopher Nolan. So just making a straight history type of film just doesn't seem like his style so i'm True expecting that. i'm expecting a little extra and that's you know seeing posters like this that are very imaginative i think help uh kind of like plant that idea well i'm trying to think of um you know i i did enjoy dunkirk uh and that was a, a pretty factual historical moment if i'm not mistaken was that christopher uh, nolan I think that was a Nolan film. Yeah, Dunkirk, if I'm not mistaken. I okay, um, I take back my so, sentence then. <laughs> no, but no, but I like I can just based off of what he's done so much in the past, I can definitely uh I like for me, I think that'd be really, really fun if he actually turned that into a sci-fi fiction. I really dig that idea. Um, but um I, if anything, I think maybe he's just going from a historical perspective but just adding like that like you mentioned that modern day flair to sort of make it look like that sort of film you know what i mean so uh, i dig it i dig the poster a um, couple other posters um character posters for the flash wind up dropping here um these are the individual ones um you get to see barry allen's flash there uh, we also wind up having michael keaton's batman the classic batmobile there also um and then uh, of course supergirl which i'm assuming this is Probably, if I had to assume, Wayne's Wayne's manner that she's she's certainly at, but it looks like um, Supergirl here as well. You know, Stuart, they actually just had a the production designer for the Flash just came out and had a, a interview that he did talking about him remembering watching um, the movies when he was a kid, uh, the the original Michael uh, Michael Keaton Batman films, um, and he says now he finds himself redesigning those same things that he'd love like the Batmobile and then literally he mentioned the idea like a bat wing of scale 
Um, so I'm assuming that like the shot that you see of it coming down is probably like actually practical, like the idea of him having to design this type of stuff along with the classic cave and reimagining it and whatnot. So I'm really looking forward to just kind of see the visuals of this movie uh, and really how that nostalgia factor is going to hit. But um, how do you like the posters, man? I love it. Before I get into them, uh, I just got to bring up, we got a super chat from $20. Thank you so much. And she says, I wanted to show my support uh, to you guys. Uh, Y'all are awesome. Thank you. You. Yeah. You are awesome uh, for that one. So thank you so much. You know, I actually have not had the opportunity to finish uh, watching WWE backlash yet from Puerto Rico, but I will tell you, man, so far, I think I'm like maybe two, two matches in i watched the women's match and i watched rollins and almost really enjoyed both of them the women's match blew me away uh, and but we already talked about that in predictions like if there's anybody that could steal this like steal the show it's it's definitely those two they know how to certainly carry a match that was an incredible match uh and look seth rollins still being able to carry even somebody like almost through the match and what was a really spectacular and fun match for me also really enjoyed the crowd was hot uh i cannot wait to finish backlash later on tonight so um yeah i'm, I'm still looking forward to seeing how predictions are gonna go but uh, thank you so much Dottila. i really appreciate that um let's see here uh what else oh. we got Stuart? oh, oh what you, uh, this? oh yeah go yeah, ahead go so, ahead. so go my ahead. thoughts on the uh posters yes. so yeah really like uh i really love the uh design for the michael keaton batman poster uh especially with uh it just the, the the Batmobile looking exactly the same. Everything looking like it's just modernized, a li- uh, just enough to fit like a modern film, but not too much so it doesn't you know look like the original uh, designs or anything like that. It still looks very much in line with those. It's like that perfect having your cake and eating it too in the middle. Uh-huh, um, yeah. And then with the Supergirl uh, poster, um, I also just think that's just a really cool epic looking uh poster um especially with the uh, i don't know if that's like lightning or if that's an explosion but you know just kind of adds oh, you know, some that. cool color to that and then of course the flash poster uh looks awesome i actually the the more i look at the suit you know it really depends on the camera angle because again i think there's weird times where it almost looks like he's wearing a bicycle hel- helmet <laughs> other times i think like you know, when I'm looking at just the cow with the whole the costume as a whole, I think it looks really cool. I think it's just the close-ups on the face when I feel like the costume doesn't look as good, but when I see it as a whole, I think it looks pretty epic. Yeah, like I really, I really dig it. Um, it is one of those things that it sometimes it grows on me. Other times I'm like, I just don't, I just don't know. I have those moments, man. But um, yeah, you know what? Look, I, I'm really excited to see Sasha Kaye as Supergirl. Um, she looks great in the suit. I think the suit is epic itself. I really love the design that they wind up giving her for this one. Um, and uh, just the brief moments we've seen in the trailer, I'm, I'm hoping that there's, you know, I can't remember how long this movie is. I feel like it's probably relatively long. So I am hoping that there's a lot more to her character that we haven't had the opportunity to see. Because uh, I, I would like her to not only have a great performance, but maybe even open up the possibility of her returning for James Gunn's dcu maybe uh, unless he decides to go another route i don't know but I, I think it would be cool to hopefully capture something really great with this performance so we'll see yeah she honestly if they go by the uh comic books uh for woman of tomorrow uh which is like a story about her just trying to celebrate her uh 21st birthday off earth so she can like actually get drunk mm. uh if that's the story <laughs> they go for i feel like she's the perfect age for that you know <laughs> 
She looks that's like funny. she could have just like turned 21, and that's that could be like the start of the movie. <laughs> yeah, I you know, I haven't had the opportunity to, re to read that one yet, but I'm definitely going to have to, especially since it's going to possibly influence the upcoming film. So I definitely want to check that out. I still haven't finished it, but you know, from the first two issues that I've read, it it's uh, definitely got my attention. Uh, who else we wind up having in here? You know, let's um, give some shout outs to those that are in attendance here also today. We got Blossom in the house. Good to see you. Good old Ram Jam is certainly here today. Uh, Enrique Perez says, hey, Adam, I can't believe all the movie studios have canceled every uh, project. Uh, we'll definitely talk a little bit uh, about that um, here coming up pretty soon. Uh, Blossom says, Alexis, your girlfriend's friend's name is my middle name. That's her sister. Um, but uh, that's pretty cool. I didn't know that. Uh, I didn't know that that was uh, your middle name. So thank you for uh, uh, letting us know that. Uh, who else we got here? Did I give Ram Jam a shout out already? Yeah, I did. Um, and of course, Marcelino is in the house also. Hey, man, it's okay. You come at your own your own pace, brother. It's all right. In and out whenever you feel like it. Um, all right. Um, you know, in regards to honorable mentions, guys, um, I do want to go ahead and talk a little bit something here with you, Stuart, um, and pick your brain about everything that's going on. But it's really the the moment in time here that's kind of shaken um, movies and television. And that's currently the uh, WGA writer strike that's currently going on right now. Um, uh, it's one of those things where um, here we go. I'll put this one up first. Um, you know, uh, it's one of those things that we kind of saw coming. Um, you know, they unfortunately never got the opportunity to make the deal. Uh, and so for, and so now, um, those members that are a part of the writers guild are now officially on strike. Um, and they have stopped their services in regards to writing scripts, rewrites, whatever the case may be working on productions. Uh, and it's really halted and stopped a lot of productions. Um, you know, and I think the, the big question, maybe some people might have heard about it. Maybe they don't necessarily know all the insights in regards to what's going on. What are the writers truly asking for? Where are the, the companies and the studios? What's their perspective on this sort of thing, right? Like, what does this all kind of boil down to? And so I want to just take some of our time here for honorable mentions to um, just kind of go over some of the things that I've been able to find from Variety.com that maybe helps enlighten a little bit of us all in regards to everything that's kind of going on as of right now. Um, so that's what I wanted to do real quick, Stuart, um, in regards to this. But um, do you have any overall thoughts um, in regards to how, how everything's turning out or what's going on right now? Oh, I think you're muted. So at first, I think the biggest shock was that the strike even happened to begin with. I thought by now Hollywood and uh, just, you know, TV studios by now would have learned their lesson, learned that this many, you know, writers all at once are saying that they're being uh, paid unfairly. Maybe it's a good time to listen to them instead of trying to ignore them and let them go on strike for like 100 days. Um, so I'm not sure why they're waiting so long to like actually kind of negotiate with the writers at this point because it feels like their demands are you know mostly reasonable i'm not sure if we were planning on uh going over them at some point during the show or, or if we were planning on going over the exact demands or anything like that but from what i have read they seem very reasonable and I don't know. It's just it's bizarre to me that they let it happen. But at the same time, the uh, the one thing that the studios are probably thinking and the reason that I'm not like super worried about if this strike goes on longer than anticipated is that I feel like, you know, currently 
we have so much content that's already kind of in pre-production currently so like basically in the stages where um you don't necessarily need the writers and i think that's might be what studios are waiting for it's waiting for the point where they run out of content and actually need the writers before like actually making these deals and i think they're using that as a way to kind of like uh see I don't know, just because, you know, the longer you wait, the longer, you know, in the negotiator's mind, it, it shows confidence. So, you know, I think that's what they're trying to do is they're trying to scare the writers into thinking that they're not like as needed as they think they are. Mm-hmm. But I think, again, because of how many people are supporting the, the writer's strike, how many people are behind it, I don't think the strategy is going to work in the studio's favor. I do think that no matter how long they try to wait out the writer's strike, it's not going to go the way they think. In fact, if anything, I could see things getting even worse for them because of this, because of like the fact that it's not just writers who are striking. You already have some people who are actors, directors that are joining it. And I think if studios think that they can get away with like kind of, um, you know, just working around the writing, just doing everything that's already in pre-production and just hoping that'll last for, you know, the entire strike. I think they're going to soon learn that like, you know, some, some of the people that support the strike may not be willing to work on these uh, projects or anything like that. So I, I think overall they're going to try to wait it out and it's not going to work as well as they think because they got too many people supporting them that, you know, the studios just don't that the studios themselves aren't accounting for. Well, the last uh, the last strike lasted 100 days, um, so it will be interesting to see how long this one is going to last. Uh, I don't know if it's going to come under or over, but um, maybe we'll take some bets at the end of this episode. Um, I, I bet under, personally. bet under? Okay, mm-hmm. gotcha. Um, let's go ahead and uh, maybe answer some of those questions here, Stuart. So I'm going to go ahead and pull up this uh, Variety article. Now, this Variety article dropped before the strike happened um, in regards to um, look, this is this is what's um, happening. This is what the studios are asking for. This is what the writers are asking for. Type of uh, type of stuff when we go over it, um, so it gives you a better understanding, like what led us certainly to this point. Um, so this was before. Um, what date was this? Where's the date on this thing? Uh, May first. Um, so yeah, sometime last week, just before the um, that Monday. Um, will there be a strike? We don't know. What are you hearing? Two sides continue to negotiate. Clearly that uh, fell through. Um, what do the writers want? It says money for starters. Uh, writers are seeking a sea change in their compensation, starting with a significant hike in Guild Weekly minimums. They also want to rewrite the formula for streaming residuals to pay writers more for hit shows and to pay more with the growth in international subscribers. They want to expand span protection, which is a contractual provision that limits the time period that studios can retain writers for their episode fees to, it looks like 2.4 weeks, so that it covers writers making 400,000 and above, which would increase their overscale pay substantially. The Guild has estimated that the total cost of its proposal is 600 million. They also want changes to working conditions. They want a minimum staff level for TV writers rooms. They want writers to work for a guaranteed minimum number of weeks per show. They want provisions that would require that writers be involved in production and post-production of shows so that writers get producing experience. They want a provision that would protect writers' compensation and credits from encroachment by AI, though they are not seeking to forbid the use of AI in screenwriting. 
If the writers go on strike, it would likely not be for any one or two of these reasons, but rather for all of the above. So that's uh, the perspective uh, from the writers in regards to what they want. Looks like we got a another super chat. I just wanted to bring up real quick from Blossom. She uh, donated five dollars. Hey, her comment is a strike. Holy macaroni! As a writer myself, I can't blame them. Yeah, absolutely. There. Look, I, also, if you guys go over to our Facebook page, um, I did post the video um, on that Monday or Tuesday that really broke this down also for you guys. And a lot of it seems to be coming from really the streaming service uh, aspect of things. Um, a lot of the reasons why I even found out that they like remove some of their hit shows off of their streaming services, you know, very shortly, you know, sometimes we're kind of caught abrupt, like, oh my goodness, why did that show, you know, leave that streaming service? We'll come to find out that it's sometimes it's the idea that they don't want to pay the writers or those part of the production crew any residuals um, for having their product certainly on their streaming service anymore. It's a way to kind of undercut them from no longer getting paid for um, their services. So um, it, it's a lot to do with in regards to the um, the streaming services and what's certainly going on. But check it out over on our Facebook page. Again, there is a, a video that we I wind up dropping either Monday or Tuesday that goes into um, really what's going on with the streaming services here. But, you know, Stuart, you see some of the the uh, what they're certainly asking for uh, in regards to the guild has estimated that the total cost of his proposals is about six hundred million dollars. Um, look, I, I got to I got to admit, at the end of the day, you probably put this out there in regards to look, this is what we want. Does this necessarily mean that they're going to get all of it? I says I, I says if the writers go on strike, it will likely not be for any one or two of these reasons, but rather all of the above. So I am kind of curious, like what the companies even negotiated. You know, like did it, was it like a was was what they negotiated sort of a slap in the face, or how close did they actually come to the six hundred million? Like I don't honestly see them getting the six hundred million, but. I, I got to think that there's maybe a negotiating point that they can get to 400 million, 450 million sort of thing. Um, but um, I, I don't know. The, I guess the money has got to come from somewhere, right, though? Yeah. Um, and I think that's that might be a part of it. It may also be like not necessarily that studi studios don't want to pay the writers. It could be that they're trying to think of a fair way they could uh, redistribute the money. Because uh, I know like the most obvious one that people kind of go to currently is, well, why do actors get, you know, $10 million and writers only get $10,000? So that's like kind of a one that like a lot of people use in the argument. And so I wonder if that's like kind of some of the options that studios are kind of like looking into, like maybe paying actors uh, slightly less in order to pay writers more, maybe paying producers less. Um, you know, I, I got to imagine that's probably what they're like contemplating at the moment. Yeah, because I remember I had been watching an uh, interview here this week where somebody called out David Zaslav um for you know his his mm. yearly earnings being like 250 million dollars and he's like that you know that what what he makes is like what we what we really need you know um and so it's the i, I look i think it's also the idea of just like exorbitant pay for people up at the top like you can't get by on like 150 million dollars a year my guy like what, what sort of lifestyle are you living right now uh type of thing um so you know i i am and and clearly you know when it comes to their streaming services they make a bajillion dollars so sometimes it's just 
I just feel like they're tight asses. <laughs> you know, it's almost mm. like the 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 most rich are like the most frugal at the same at the same time. I'm always trying to be as cheap as they possibly can. You know, the article does go on to say, what do the studios want? They say a fair and reasonable agreement. <laughs> there is no sign as yet that they are open to a TV staffing minimum or a streaming residual formula that would incorporate viewership data, which they view as top secret. See, that's the thing, Stuart, right? It's like the residual from streaming, um, the idea of, hey, we create this hit show, millions of people watch the show on a daily basis. There's got to be some additional compensation for something along those lines. Um, and so the idea of them not even being open to it because they want to keep their views top secret, that's just that is just fishy as fuck to me. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's something that people have been complaining about with Netflix for a long time. The fact that they don't share their streaming numbers, um, which, you know, especially when it comes to them canceling shows, because, you know, they'll say that, well, we canceled it based on the viewership. And we'll be like, okay, what what were the views? Then they'll be like, well, we can't release that to the public. I do think that that should be allowed to be public knowledge personally. Um, and yeah, it makes total sense that, and I think this is exactly why they don't want it to be public knowledge because they knew that people, writers would want to use, not just writers, but anyone would want to use this as an argument. But it's also like kind of funny because, you know, if, if you're, if you were to pay your writers more based on the viewership of your show, wouldn't that just mean you would get writers that probably are going to be putting in a lot more effort into writing, uh, you know, a, a show for you, thus giving you a better product, thus making you even more money? To me, this seems like uh, paying your writers more for a show that has like better views. That feels like a win for both parties. So it's weird that, you know, that's something that they wouldn't want to consider. And then also the idea of uh, minimum staffing uh, for writers. I also, yeah, can only imagine how stressful a writer's room would be if you're writing a show that has like you know let's say 13 episodes but you got like only three writers to like kind of plan out an entire season like that so that also seems like it would be like not a totally unfair like kind of rule to have as well mm -hmm. it says it also says they are likely more flexible about pay hikes especially on minimums as employers across the country are agreeing uh, are agreeing to union contracts with first year raises of five to seven percent due to high inflation. The WGA has acknowledged that the studio has made small moves in a few areas, though not what would be needed to get a deal. Um, and I always feel like the pay hikes companies always just kind of feel like, OK, let's just throw some money to them. You know, make them happy, give them a raise, and then that should, you know, ease all of their burdens. Um, when you know, it don't matter how much money I got, if, if I'm if I'm being exhausted by the work that I'm doing, and my health isn't necessarily the best, or I don't have the time uh, to go somewhere to um, certainly get uh, checked out, sort of thing. You know, it's uh, what 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 good is that necessarily going to do me? It doesn't really change sort of the um, the 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 lifestyle or the work environment that these streaming services have sort of created, you know? And so, yeah, I can see them easily being, okay, look, we got this money. Let's throw some money their way um, in that regards. But uh, there's definitely more to it than that. So it doesn't surprise me that they seem pretty flexible in regards to anything involving cash. It's really the idea of, Hey, we don't want to pay any, any, we don't want to pay you more for a longer period of time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, I think you're. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. 
Um, what else does this say? It says, um, if they don't reach a deal Monday night, um, will the strike begin Tuesday? It says, yes, they've told Wall Street analysts that a strike would begin on Tuesday, and there's no indication. Otherwise, they clearly went ahead with that. Um, which shows will go off the air first? It says the WGA has put out a list, Jimmy Kimmel Live, Tonight Show, Real Time with Bill Maher, Late Night with Seth Meyers, Saturday Night Live, uh, Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. All of those shows rely on writers to produce material right up to the last moment. Without writers, they would be forced into reruns. Mm -hmm. um, viewers might not notice too many other disruptions for quite a while, at least. Shows that have already been produced but not yet broadcast will continue to air. A lot of shows have wrapped for the season. Uh, NBC's Law & Order shows um, just wrapped last week, meaning the footage is in the hands of the network and the final episodes will be airing. But CBS's FBI, FBI Most Wanted, are still scheduled to shoot this week, um, so their current season could be impacted. Uh, a strike might have to go on for several months before it impacts next season shows. And for a lot of shows, a traditional seasonal calendar doesn't mean too much. Some uh, Showtime's Billions is scheduled to film season seven scenes this week in New York, but it is not, does not have a premiere date. Uh, will TV production halt if there is a strike? Not entirely. Reality shows, news, sports, interview-based talk shows, and other non-scripted entertainment are not subject to the WGA agreement and will continue. And even some scripted production could continue. Uh, it says the WGA cannot stop showrunners from coming to work in their producer capacity so long as they don't do any writing. For them, it really is an individual decision. And I think that's kind of what you mentioned, right, Stuart? The idea that there are some people maybe like the directors or maybe some even some showrunners, too, um, that are kind of on strike that are part of the WGA. In fact, we literally just had an article this week. I think of like Disney and some of these other big companies like sending out letters to their showrunners saying, look, we know that you're a WGA member, but you still have other sort of like producing duties that you got to do. Um, you know, we you don't have to do any writing, but in some other capacity, you know, we, we need you to kind of come back to work. So I guess that's what this is kind of addressing also um, about what the WGA isn't necessarily covering. Um, yeah. Uh, let's see here. Because, um, what you gonna say? Um, sorry, uh, it was like, what was it? It was um, the 2008 when the original writer strike happened. Yeah, you saw like a huge, huge, huge in increase in like reality TV shows. And it kind of worked back then only because YouTube wasn't like the wasn't what it is today. But I can guarantee you if like uh, different networks are planning on are, are hoping for something like that to kind of be what holds them out for the writer strike. It's not going to work as well because now I feel like YouTube is saying it's filled with the same stuff that used to entertain uh, people back like in 2008 with those type of reality shows. You can like now find them on YouTube. And yeah, I, I don't think it's going to I don't think like waiting it out using reality shows is going to work out as well for them as it used to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's really what gave sort of birth to the reality television shows for sure. So uh, I wonder I wonder what new projects would uh, would form out of this. Um, it says yeah. the W. 
it says uh, for them, it really is an individual decision. Some may feel a lot of social pressure if they continue to work while their lesser paid colleagues are on the picket lines. In that case, they might hand off the producing duties to a non-WGA producer who would keep the production going. And many shows will certainly shut down. Most showrunners who are WGA members will likely stop all of their producing work on shows to demonstrate solidarity with their guild. In that case, it might make more sense for a studio to halt production. Um, so I think that's what um, they're definitely facing uh, as of right now, uh, I think, is that pushback uh, that we're getting from these studios telling them, hey, you guys need to come back to work, right? The WGA Guild uh, doesn't protect you from that. Like, you still have to come back to work. Uh, but listen, if you um, if you're holding on to that solidarity and you want to continue to demonstrate, you know, you might you might <laughs> you might uh, just pull all your services. Uh, and um, I, I can definitely see that uh, impacting some things already. Um, will film production be affected? So it says if a film already has a completed script, it shouldn't have a problem. But if the script needs rewriting during production, no GA, WGA writer would be available. A strike that lasts several months could delay production of films uh, for which scripts are not yet complete. Uh, the Directors Guild of America will still have no strike clause in place. Individual actors or directors may choose not to work during the WGA strike, but they can be replaced or even hypothetically sued if they breach a personal service contract. Writers, directors might feel the same pressure that showrunners feel. Um, such members of both WGA and the Directors Guild of America um, and would be on strike in their writing capacity, but allowed to work in their director capacity. They can walk off set if they're not comfortable, but they can also be replaced. Um, so you're really seeing how this is <laughs> really going to affect everything. And I think just from our main topic alone that we're going to be talking about here after this uh, strike, uh, I think you'll see this um, um, exactly how this uh, plays out. Right, Stuart? Indeed um so yeah there you go guys um if you guys want to go ahead and read the rest of the uh article you certainly can um but uh, it is currently up on our facebook page as well in that regards um so yeah Stuart, how are you feeling about all this man um you know i'm i'm bummed from you know the content that we're not going to be getting but at the same time i do think this is very necessary i think that if they are being underpaid um you know, it's important to get that message across as soon as possible that, hey, we're not going to take this. Uh, you know, we're just as valuable to the project as everyone else is. So we deserve to be compensated for, you know, our hard work and everything like that. So I really hope the best for the writers. I really hope they get what they need. Not necessarily everything they want from it, but everything they need from this, you know. Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. Um, and I know the idea of potential AI writers probably... Um, is looking more and more appealing by Hollywood studios, which I think is idiotic. I like, mm -hmm. I, I just, it's just a terrible move and Jeff's definitely not the way to go. So I, I'm kind of curious to see how that will evolve uh, kind of going forward. 
Here's the thing is like, I feel like AI isn't a bad idea when using it as like an assistant for a writer. Um, like for me, what I, what I've actually been doing recently is I've been kind of experimenting with uh, chat GPT. So what'll happen is if I need dialogue, uh, from like, um, something that I know nothing about, like, let's say it's, I need, uh, you know, there's a scene that's taking place in the hospital and I need to know how a doctor would talk about a certain situation. I would pretty much just write into GPT. Hey, what would a doctor say if yada, yada, yada? That's a great way to use chat GPT. So that way I don't have to like go out of my way to do a bunch of annoying research just to write a five minute scene. I can literally just like ask chat GPT this and get like a good line of dialogue that I could just re-edit. I don't think there's anything wrong with using it that way. Uh, but that being said, you know, I've also, as a, I've also just to see what would happen, have, have written, hey, chat GPT, write me a script about this. And I've seen what it'll write. It understands the assignment, but holy shit, is it bad writing? And it would never work <laughs> if, if Hollywood were to just try to use that to make a movie. It would not work at all. Uh, yeah, you would you would destroy the movie industry if Hollywood it tried to, to pull that off. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And look, even the writers themselves say, look, we're not opposed to the use of AI, you know, but in limited fashions uh, type of thing. So um, it, I definitely appreciate that. Um, but let's get a little bit more current real quick uh, in regards to like how this is affecting studios now, like which shows that we are currently watching um, that um, are having to put a halt to things. Um, so this says pens down what writers not working really means for shows in production. Um, when AC Bradley was hired to write the Miss Marvel, part of his um, part of her job entitled going to set every day to help with rewriting scenes on the fly while the show was being filmed. She says it was a mixture of everything from wanting to add new characters into the show to needing to change things because of location. Um, just one example, she says the date of production was set to shoot a chase sequence at the Marriott Hotel. She helped to add a beat where the chase entered the kitchen because it was nearby. Why not use what you have? This kind of scenario is, of course, no longer possible uh, during the ongoing writer strike. Pens down means no WGA member can write or change scripts whatsoever during, uh, before or after production. In many cases, that has meant showrunners have left their shows entirely, like the Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power executive producers, um, other writers, uh, or, or um, Cobra Kai executive producer uh, John Hurwitz wind up leaving. Uh, other writer rooms have shut down in advance of production for the next week's uh, next seasons, like Abbott Elementary and Yellow Jackets. Some showrunners are still involved with their stories, however. House of the Dragon executive producer is on set during the production of HBO's uh, second season, but with scripts already completed. Um, and they're also working with the source close to the show, says it is uh, strictly a non-writing capacity. So no editing, no network notes, no writing. Similarly, while Andor executive producer Tony Gilroy is, is not on set and no longer writing, scripts were locked before the strike. Sources say he will still work as a producer um, on non-specific writing elements uh, for the show. Um, so yeah, that's interesting. So yeah, they are so, some people are definitely trying to balance that, but it is interesting the idea of um, them having already gotten in a lot of their um, uh, their scripts on time. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, I, I'll say this. Something that really surprised me about this. Um, I always thought for the longest time that with showrunners that they weren't even like allowed on set because, you know, when I was taking, uh, you know, film classes in at a junior college, uh, that was like one of the things that we were told about is if you're a writer, just be prepared that, you know, whoever's directing your project probably wants you nowhere near the set, uh, you know. So I honestly didn't even know that showrunners had a job on set. Uh, so that's that's interesting to me. Yeah, man. See, we're learning something new every day, man. Uh, yeah, around. exactly. <laughs> I love, <Yeah>. love it. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, man. So it, it's definitely affecting shows very much so like that. Um, let me see here. Um, they said representatives for HBO and Lucasfilm declined to comment for this story. Um, so, yeah, there are certain shows that are definitely trying to balance things out. Uh, in order to get things continuing to go. So hopefully that's a little bit more um, insight for you guys in regards to everything that's currently happening. And Stuart, you know, with that, we should just jump right into our next topic, right? Because this kind of, uh, this kind of uh, leads right into our, uh, our MCU story that we have for you guys today. Um, because Maharshala Ali and the Blade production uh, is back. We literally just talked about this last week, Stuart. <laughs> um, the idea of how many changes have certainly happened for this production, right? Um, they've already had to replace its director. Um, they have already had not one, but I believe two other writers for this movie. Last week, they literally just announced a brand new writer, the uh, creator of the True Detective series. So uh, a great pickup. Uh, but the idea that we've had like three to four writers on this film is certainly worrisome. Um, so it's had its bumps in the road already. And Stuart, it's facing yet another one uh, as the writer strike has officially shut down the Blade production. Uh, it is, in fact, on pause as of right now. Um, this man, <laughs> Stuart, this man's got to be pissed. Dude, how do you think Mah Maharshala Ali's handling all this? You think he's cool as a cucumber right now? Um, hard to say. I can tell you that if I was in his shoes, I wouldn't be. Uh, for one, he here's the thing, and it's not no offense to Blade as a character. I think Blade is really badass and everything, but. <laughs> His comic books, I feel like, are not the hardest to write, you know? I feel like it's, <laughs> it's a fucking vampire comic book series. Those <laughs> got to be not only fun, but not that challenging to write. So it's bizarre that it's, like, taken this long to get, like, a solid writer to work on a Blade film. And, of course, by the time they finally hired someone, the writer strike hits. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, um, Marvel hits pause on Blade due to writer strike. Um We'll go ahead and get into the details for you guys. Um, so here we go. Let's see here. It says, the writer strike has taken a bite out of Blade. <laughs> That's a good, good little line yeah. there. Uh, Marvel Studios is shutting down pre-production on its vampire thriller um, starring Maharshala Ali, which was set to begin filming next month in Atlanta. The feature project, which has been paused once before, becomes the first tentpole movie impacted by the strike. Cast and crew members are being notified this afternoon. Um, Blade had recently hired True Detective creator Nick uh, Pizzolatto to write on the script, but according to an insider, time simply ran out. The studio will restart to production once the strike is over. Since the strike action began Tuesday, 
the biggest impact has been on late night talk shows, Saturday Night Live, uh, and different dramas. While some studios have one or two movies going in production, Marvel is seemingly propping up the industry by planning on having three movies shooting at the same time, not to mention two series. Even with the Blade shutdown, it is gearing up for one of the busiest times in the company's history. Uh, so they definitely have a lot of things currently going on in front of the camera. But uh, one of those things, unfortunately, Stuart, will not be, um, will definitely not be the Blade movie. Um, how do you feel about this, man? Um, yeah, this is a little bit devastating. I'm, I'm hoping, oh, look, sorry, if, I just realized, was oh, I no, you're good. no, oh. you, yeah, I think you might've been muted. I'm sorry. I, I was muted. Sorry. I meant to say, yeah, slightly frustrated. Uh, this feels like a movie that should have been ready to shoot like a while ago. Um, but I am really glad that like, even if it's going to have to wait again because of the writer strike, at least they finally got a solid writer to work on it. Um, and again, you know, it is bizarre because it's Blade. You know, we're not asking you to write a movie about a talking raccoon or a dude that builds, <laughs> you know, armor in the desert. We're asking you to write a movie about a guy that kills vampires, you know. Doesn't seem that challenging, but okay. At least they finally got a solid writer, and hopefully after the writer strike is over, uh, yeah, I'm hoping we can get a solid movie out of this. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. You and me both. Uh, I really hope that they come up with something here. Um, you know, in my head, I just thought to myself, oh, OK, maybe one of the strike is happening and everybody's at home. Maybe Nick can actually write some stuff down. Oh, I guess I guess he can't he can't really do that. huh? So it's like yeah. literally all production is halted. So he can't even like come up with these write down brand new ideas uh, until like the next three to six months however long this is certainly going to take us to, to certainly get through um uh, but uh, listen man this is the type of stuff that you guys are going to be seeing right now uh while the writers definitely fight for what they deserve um it definitely will be putting a halt to things and for me you know Stuart, it mentions in this article the idea that look marvel is getting ready to go ahead and start filming right they're going to be throwing things in production we just we just learned from the other articles that sometimes when you're on set filming these big projects, there's rewrites, right? Like things that you got to change up sort of on the fly. Um, and the idea that, yeah, maybe some of these producers and directors will be there. But, you know, if you if you need to add an additional scene or rework one because it's not working, um, you know, you're, you're kind of um, you're kind of stuck with what you have. Uh, and it if it ends up not being the best movie because you couldn't make those rewrites. Uh, I would I would be interested to kind of see, yes, while they're going into production and getting ready to film, I do wonder what the end result of some of these MCU movies might end up being in regards to just like their overall quality. Um, so one, maybe Blade pausing um, was the right idea instead of pushing it into production um and just well you know maybe this the script itself maybe not even fully done you know what i mean it, it almost felt like that was going to be a production that might just write as they're filming uh which would have been terrifying in and of itself um so yeah man i um you know i'm 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 sad but maybe this is the best thing for the project maybe everybody can take a, a breather and come back with extra energy you know what i mean yeah 
It is also kind of funny to note because when it comes to Marvel movies, like you know, you were mentioning, they get rewritten a lot now that that's no longer an option for them. You know, a lot of a lot of these directors are now going to have to realize they don't have the luxury of second guessing a scene if it plays out and it doesn't come out as cool as it does on the script. Well, they're stuck with they're that. Stuck with <laughs> it, right? Yeah. So um, hopefully, yeah, hopefully with Blade, you know, once the writer's strike is over, there won't be any worry about that. They can go back to, you know, kind of reworking things when they need to in the middle of filming it. And yeah. Um, but uh, we'll see, man. We'll definitely keep you guys posted and any other developments that wind up happening throughout the week. Um, but um, and again, you know, upcoming shows. I was going to say like shows like on the CW, but they barely have any <laughs> television shows these days. But, you know, the, the fall season of television. Um should be you know those things should be going into production sort of thing and they're not so a lot of those shows might certainly be impacted and pushed a little bit further down uh depending on whether or not a deal is certainly reached here so definitely um far reaching from film to television but we'll definitely keep you guys posted going forward i definitely hope so i know that there's like a lot of like questions on the renewal of superman and lois with uh season four um, I just hope that the writer strike isn't going to be the factor. If like the show doesn't get renewed, I really hope like the writer strike wasn't a factor into that. I really hope that it was a decision mm. that you know went beyond the writer strike. Yeah, no, I feel you there. I feel you there. Um, but uh, all right, guys, let us know your thoughts uh, in regards to Blade halting its production. Uh, as the writer strike has officially begun uh, let us know your thoughts in the comment section box below and uh, yeah man I'm, I'm just ready for blade production to stop hitting uh some road bumps like i really hope that it's uh it, it comes through uh yeah at the end of the day um all right guys next up uh we're going to switch over from mcu and get into our dc talk today um uh, because for those of you who don't know if you have been living under a rock or maybe this is the first time you've heard james gunn is in fact creating a superman movie that's right titled superman legacy the script is officially done um so he did go ahead and finish the final script he handed it in it's ready to go um pre-production for this movie has officially begun uh and i if anything i don't believe that they start filming until early 2024 so james gunn straight ahead superman legacy is certainly still coming but there is also another superman movie out there another concept um for a superman movie coming from producer jj abrams along with writer tanahishi coates if i'm not mistaken um as they're going to be doing a black superman movie um this has been announced what maybe the past year or so Stuart, am i i don't remember how long it's been announced for but um do you remember when it was announced i think you muted yourself I remember us talking about it at least like a year ago or so. Um, <clears throat> it's been yeah, it's been a minute. It's been a minute. Um, it's definitely yeah, it's definitely been a while that we've been uh, kind of going over this because I remember this was even before, like way before they even announced uh, James Gunn working or uh, like yeah, working as like the head of DC. Um, and then we had also gotten news uh, about um, who was it? Uh, Michael B. Jordan possibly producing a another Superman movie as well um, so we had a lot of moving pieces and so you know maybe some people just kind of assume due to james gunn tackling his uh superman movie releasing a complete dcu slate right his chapter one we went over this a couple of months ago with you guys not seeing any jj abram movie announced out there for a superman film at all 
Well, it just recently came back uh, into the news here this past week as James Gunn actually mentioned the idea of there might be room for another Superman movie out there, Stuart. Uh, and I got pretty interested about this. So I want to go ahead and highlight this with you guys. Uh, let's go ahead and bring this up here, Stuart. Um, this comes to us from Gizmodo, gizmodo.com. Um, they usually come through with some pretty good articles from time to time. James Gunn's Superman movie hasn't erased the Ta-Nehisi Coates and J.J. Abrams one. Um, the director of Guardians um, clarified that the other Superman movie could still happen. And I think this is also important, Stuart, that to say James Gunn has mentioned this before. It might have gone under the radar for some, but he did mention this in uh, his video release of the um, Gods and Monsters Chapter 1 slate um, about how other movies could certainly still come into play. So let's go ahead and dive into this. It says, with Superman Legacy, the first true film in James Gunn's new DC universe beginning to come together for a 2025 release, one might assume that all other takes of that character uh, um, as gone as Krypton. However, io9 has learned that that's not the case. Uh, while James Gunn is getting ready to release Guardians of the Galaxy, um, um, and then moving full-time to not only directing Superman Legacy, but molding the DC Universe as a whole with his DC films. Um, that move seemingly pushed everything happening at the DC before their appointment back. Uh, it says, however, speaking with them this weekend, James Gunn confirmed that just because his Superman movie is coming doesn't mean that one is completely off the board. This is what he says. He says, there are two uh, those two things are totally unrelated. That's an exciting movie. I know that Chantel Nung, who is the executive on that project, is extremely excited about it. So if it comes in and it's great, which I haven't read the script, and if the timing is right, this could absolutely happen. That's totally unrelated. It would be an Elseworlds tale like The Joker. Um, and so they go on to say, so there's the loophole. Along with the announcement of the upcoming DC slate in January, James Gunn and Peter Safran said that the movies didn't fall into their robust, ambitious shared universe like the Batman and the Joker would clearly be labeled Elseworlds, denoting those as separate from the main story. So uh, it does say that this news actually of the Ta-Nehisi Coates and J.J. Abram came out in 2021. So, yeah, about two years ago is when that information wind up dropping. So uh, a couple things here, Stuart. One, I, I am fascinated with the idea that he has not seen the script yet. Um, we do know that um, Ta-Nehisi Coates continues to write it. I think he's he might have, have talked about it in individual interviews if you go um, and research him um within some time this year, maybe late 2022, I think he talked about the idea of him still putting the script together. So um, I am, I, I was kind of only already under the impression maybe James Gunn had saw, has seen the script, but he clearly has not. But I love the fact that he's very much um, open to the idea of it certainly happening. And 
he already categorizes it as Elseworlds. And what I find fascinating is if you go back and read his or listen to his announcement that he gives about the DCU slate, when he refers to Elseworlds, he says, if we're going to make an Elseworlds movie, we're going to hold it at a higher standard than what we even do for our DCEU projects. The idea that you have really got to bring sort of your A game with a story worth telling that's going to be impactful and certainly moving sort of thing. So the fact that he already holds that standard for Elseworlds movies um, and is still willing to give this Superman movie a shot, uh, I think Ta-Nehisi Coates definitely has, I don't want to say an uphill climb, but it is one of those things where if I, if it, if it gets greenlit, I know how James Gunn feels about that particular script, if that makes sense. Um, and for me, that definitely gets me excited that he truly is sort of putting story first above anything else. Uh, and that if something does get titled Elseworlds, they're bringing their A game. Uh, and so for me, that's really exciting. And I, I, I'm hoping, I'm, if anything, I'm hoping that that gives Ta-Nehisi Coates also an idea of what to shoot and aim for uh, when putting this film together. It already feels like it's going to be impactful, society, you know, culturally driven or changing, culturally changing, if you will, um, to a certain extent. So I do think it's going to be a, a really big film, but does the script hold up? Uh, and so I, I love the idea of him at least saying there's definitely a possibility, but here's this is where the bar is at also for that happening. Um, so I love the idea that there's a potential here, Stuart. You know what I mean? Um, but when you um, when you read this, um, I'm trying to find the damn, there we go, boom. But when you hear these words from J.J. Abrams himself, uh, what do you think about all this? Uh, no, I think that's a very fair, like, uh, sta uh, standard to hold, uh, hold like Elseworld stories to, because obviously you're building up a universe and people are going to want to see wh where this universe leads. So if they, if they see it's a one-off movie, that's not even connected to that. It makes sense that, you know, in the mindset of a producer, uh, the, uh, the audience members wouldn't be as like, uh, excited to see something that isn't really connected. So the idea of, okay, if you're going to make an Elseworld story and, you know, kind of lessen our chances of making money on this story you got to really justify it with a you know with it being a really good script so totally see where he's coming from there and yeah i am very curious now to see where if this movie gets greenlit uh and it's good to know that if this movie doesn't get greenlit it's not because you know james gunn had the mindset of well we already have our own superman it's just that it didn't get greenlit because it just you know was a project that he didn't see a lot of profit in so um yeah, that that actually you know gives me a lot more uh, confidence in uh, the the future of the DC universe. Uh, gives me a lot more uh, you know a lot more excited just basically on what we could possibly see going forward, uh, whether it be Elseworld stories or DC universe stories. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I think um, the fact that he's this open to um, at least giving the 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 script a read. Um, seems pretty excited about it. Um, he seems to know a little bit about it so far. Um, but yeah, it, it definitely opens up uh, other great Elseworld stories that could definitely be told, right? They have such a vast uh, and rich library of characters and stories they can certainly sink their teeth into. Like, I'm keeping my fingers crossed still for like a Kingdom Come project, uh, if they ever certainly make that happen one day. Um, but again, 
you know, I, I think you guys certainly bring your A game and certainly um, seeing if it's worth it. But uh, I feel like James Gunn is already showcasing his creative side and just um, that he's really not afraid to tackle those kind of stories as long as it makes sense. So I'm, I'm really eager to see where this goes. Uh, and if anything, um, you know, I'll, I'll be fascinated to see, like, can the world handle a secondary um, Superman movie or, or not? Uh, I mean, look, we're handling uh, Batman pretty good so far, but... Um, you know, their DCU Batman is kind of in shambles right now. So it feels very much like uh, Robert Pattinson's our only one right now. Yeah. In fact, um, someone was even like kind of suggesting the idea if Robert Pattinson wouldn't mind doing it, why not just have Robert Pattinson play two different Batmans? You could keep the DC Universe Batman as Robert Pattinson. Just, you know, tell people like, you know, this is the same <laughs> Robert Pattinson Batman. Hey, they're doing it with Superman on the Arrowverse. You know, you got the Arrowverse Superman played by Tyler Hecklin, and now you got the Superman and Lois uh, Superman played by Tyler Hecklin. They do the same thing with Robert Pattinson. <laughs> no, that could no, because that confused the hell out of me, Stuart. So no, I don't even want to. I don't even want to do with the Tyler Hecklin stuff. No way. Uh, uh. <laughs> But yeah, guys, uh, look, I, I, this is exciting for me. Uh, we'll see if they actually greenlit this project, uh, but there definitely is a life here for sure. Uh, but let us know your guys' thoughts in the comment section box below um, in regards to that also. Uh, awesome, Stuart. Um, yeah, man, I'm excited for it. Uh, we'll see. We'll see how they, if they, what they do with the Superman. Who, do you have any, um, any like people in mind that you would cast? And don't Ooh. say Michael B. Jordan, because yeah. I, because <laughs> uh, I, if if they if Michael B. Jordan does his Superman movie, I want I want him to decide whether or not he wants to cast himself as Superman, because I could see it, yeah. I could definitely see it, but I'm curious if he would would be confident enough to like do that, or if he would just end up wanting to play it safe and and you know hire someone else because directing and acting as Superman, I can I can imagine that would be a very difficult task. I can see him directing the film, but I don't know if I if I'm him if I'm going to be cast in it. Also, I think he did such a great job for Creed um, as far as directing goes that I really would. It, for me, it'd be really fun to kind of see what he would do with a Superman movie that he's producing himself. You know, so it would be his vision. So I would be really curious to kind of see what that um, what that looks like. Um, so yeah, I think that, I think there's plenty of room out there, man, for some great black Superman stories to definitely be told. So I'm, I'm ready for it. Yeah, I just uh, I I know that they I they haven't confirmed it one way or another, but I had heard like rumors that this Superman who would also be just Clark Kent but black. Uh, I kind of hope that's not what they do. I hope that if it's like mm -hmm. uh, Superman that's black, I hope they go with one of the two that we have like in the comic books personally. I mean, I'm, and I'm, I'm with you there, too. I mean, I think we got two great black Superman already. Um, I personally love the idea of it. Um, was it Val Zod? Is he the he's not the president Superman? I'm thinking of President Superman. Um, yeah, that one was, I believe, Calvin, uh, Calvin, Calvin Ellis, Kent, right? Or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, Calvin Ellis. Um, he's also a member of the Justice Incarnate, I think, in the most recent um line of dc comics um so a, a lot of potential there I'm, I'm hoping that's the one that he decides to go ahead and tackle because that would just makes more sense to me we've got two great black superman i don't think we need to you know change clark kent in regards to you know what's um you know his story and things like that i'd much rather have these other two characters focused on um, same reason why i want somebody like 
and like icon from Milestone Comics to kind of come to life. You know, his, you know, their version of sort of like their Superman. I, I want to see all these characters come to life, honestly. Speaking of Milestone, I did hear James Gunn like express interest in a Static Shock movie. Yes, I think somebody had asked them um, the idea of, hey, you know, are you going to do Static Shock and maybe any Milestone Comics characters? And he just said yes. Um, so I, I, I am excited to see what they do. So I'll, I'll take that as a confirmation uh, <laughs> that uh, we're going to Static Shock something at some point in time. Um, Ram Jam out here says he wouldn't mind seeing a Black Superman movie. Yeah, I think we got some great, um, some great storytellers um, and some great um, Black Superman out there that we can really focus on, too. Um, all right, Stuart, with that out of the way, let's go ahead and move on to our next topic because we're going to get into our Star Wars back here a little bit, man. Um, listen, you know, after Star Wars Celebration and the announcement of three upcoming films that they have, I really continue to appreciate the idea of them dropping these three films during different eras and time periods that we have. They really seem to emphasize, Stuart, the the, the eras of Star Wars um, so that as a fan, we can kind of understand and follow along chronologically where all these big events are certainly taking place. So um, they really got me excited with the direction in which they're going to be taking some of these films. Yes, if you want to be, um, you know, pessimistic about the idea, well, they may not happen. We've seen how things happen with Lucasfilm. Look, I, I get all that, but I want to hold on to my excitement as a Star Wars fan from time to time. Um, and so for me, um, the idea of these films coming out uh, are pretty impactful, and I'm really excited to kind of see where they're definitely going to take us. This past week, uh, Empire Magazine released two articles, one highlighting Kathleen Kennedy, another one highlighting Dave Filoni. And while they definitely focus on two different things, they really kind of connect as a bigger piece in regards to showcasing not only the importance of the Star Wars films that we're going to be getting, but the impact that these Star Wars films need to have. Uh, and so I thought that was pretty important. Um, and when you get the opportunity to see their points of views on it, I think you'll get to see just how closely connected they possibly are as well. So let's go ahead and dive into this one, Stuart. Uh, let me go ahead and bring this up here for us. Uh, we'll focus on the Kathleen uh, Kennedy one here real quick. Uh, so this is uh, Empire Magazine. They spoke with Kathleen Kennedy. She says she's looking to James Bond, the franchise James Bond, for how to eventize Star Wars movies. And look, as fans, we, we hunger for Star Wars movies. Star Wars should be done in theater, on the big screen, that cinematic feel to it. And so unfortunately, after the stumbling block that was the sequel trilogy, we definitely find Lucasfilm trying to right the ship despite some of the um, icebergs that they've definitely have tried to dodge during uh, this time period. Um, they are finally putting together films uh, and Kathleen Kennedy is showcasing her the importance uh, of these movies. So let's go ahead and dive into this uh, for Kathleen Kennedy here. This says... Um, um, as Star Wars Day, a.k.a. May the 4th, comes around in 2023, it is now around three and a half years since the Star Wars movies grace the big screen. When Episode Nine hit cinemas at the end of 2019, it marked not only the end of the Skywalker saga, but also a hiatus for the movie side of Star Wars storytelling. The focus clearly moved over to movies or to television series 
But um, Lucasfilm president Kathleen Kennedy recently confirmed plans for three new films at Star Wars Celebration. Uh, now it's a question of when these three upcoming movies are expected to arrive. And as Kathleen Kennedy tells Empire, that's simply a case of when they're ready. She said, I've brought up Bond. She said, I've often brought up Bond, Kathleen Kennedy tells us at Star Wars Celebration. That's every three to four years. And there wasn't this pressure to feel like you had to make a movie every year. I feel that that was very important to Star Wars. We have to eventize this. The simple answer is nothing is likely to hit the multiplexes until at least 2025. It's much better to tell the truth, she says, that we're going to be making these movies when they're ready to be made and release them when they're ready to be released. Um, so this feels very much to her like Kathleen Kennedy uh, ain't waiting on our schedule. <laughs> you know, she definitely has this mindset of um, wanting to release these movies when they're ready. You know, I think as fans, that's something that we have... Um, um, I want to say have been asking, hey, give us these movies when we're ready. I, I do think that sometimes we get so hungry for things that we uh, we want them now. Uh, we're very uh, now, now, now. I need to have this now sort of mentality. And it doesn't really, that doesn't necessarily work that way. And I think they learned that lesson from the sequel trilogy of trying to knock them out very quickly upon purchase of the Disney fran of the Lucasfilm franchise. Um, and now, if anything, I think this is maybe a. a um, seeing, an, I don't want to say an error in their ways, but definitely changing course and understanding the importance that these uh, need to be event movies once again. But uh, what do you think about what she's uh, saying here? Um, you know, when when you read the title of the article, I thought she, she was going to mean something completely different when I heard oh, her say, okay. like, oh no, turning Star Wars into James Bond. But then seeing that she just meant that they're going to be coming out when they're ready, and that usually probably means every uh, three to, you know, or two to three years, I'm okay with this. This uh, honestly seems like a good start strategy to start out with a new era of Star Wars movies. Um, I think that, yeah, one of the biggest mistakes they made also you know, on top of not planning out the trilogy, I think it was releasing a little bit too much all at once. The exciting thing about Star Wars, you know, back in the day was that when they're, you know, when the original trilogy was out and then when the prequel trilogy was out, even when we were getting the movies, it was once every three years. So going to another Star Wars movie, you know, for me, because I watched all three prequel movies in theaters each time, it felt like an event. It didn't just feel like going to another movie. And one thing that was inevitably taken away from Star Wars, uh, you know, when Disney bought it, which we kind of knew was going to happen, was the event feel to it. It felt like an event when you saw, um, you know, uh, the uh, episode seven, uh, Force Awakens. I don't know why it took me a minute to remember that title. Uh, <laughs> didn't, but, you know, that felt like an event. But then, you know, that kind of feeling went away with Rogue One and, uh, you know, The Last Jedi. It didn't, they didn't feel like going to an event. They felt like, you know, I was going to another movie. And especially when seeing, uh, you know, Solo, a Star Wars story, because that movie, you know, came out not even a year after The Last Jedi. Um so I think that was what kind of lost like the rush, the need to go see a Star Wars movie, what led to Star Wars fatigue uh, a lot sooner than we should have had it, I think. Because, uh, you know, we're looking at superhero movies. It took three phases of Marvel movies for people to start feeling real superhero fatigue. It took only five Star Wars movies for fans to feel Star Wars fatigue. Uh, so yeah. 
you know that's so i think yeah all this to say that i think starting out a new phase of star wars movie and releasing a new movie every you know two to four years uh i can't remember the exact year she said i think that's a smart way to start it out and it also gives them plenty of time to plan their next big like trilogy if they choose to do that gives them plenty of time to fix some of the mistakes they made with the previous trilogy yeah, no, I absolutely agree with you. Uh, I absolutely agree with you. And I, I do wonder if anything with these three movies announced, how far apart are they going to be? You know, because, um, um, you know, I with them being in completely different eras, they may not necessarily affect each other like that. Right. So, you know, if you do mean we want to eventize this type of stuff, does that mean like, hey, we're, we're going to eventize these like these are big moments that are happening in each of these individual films? And then maybe the follow-up for those films aren't for another three to four years. You know what I mean? Like, so I am kind of curious as to when they're going to drop. But I appreciate her letting us know, like, hey, they, these are going to come when they're ready to come. There's no really set release dates as of right now. Um, but uh, they seemingly are working hard. And look, they, they want to get it right. You know what I mean? And if that means that three to four year time period, then uh, feel free to take your time, Kathleen. <laughs> take, take, take your time. Um, I want to see if there was anything else uh, in regards to this. Uh, no, I think that was it in regards to hers. Okay. So um, on top of that, not only did Kathleen Kennedy speak, but Dave Filoni came out and spoke also uh, in regards to his upcoming movie and what he personally feels Star Wars movies should be. So I am I am, will be interested to see if his perspective um, lines up with Kathleen or bumps heads with hers a little bit. So let's go ahead and dive into this, Stuart. This is um, from Empire Magazine also. It says, uh, Dave Filoni teases what his Star Wars movie will be. You're looking for moments that define an era. Um, and he says, Star Wars has always been about... Um, uh, excuse me, uh, has always been about epic journeys, whether it's Luke Skywalker's transformation from farm boy to Jedi Master, Din Djarin's uh, foray into fatherhood in The Mandalorian, or Rey's path to self-discovery in the sequel trilogy. Uh, a few Star Wars journeys have been as epic as that of Dave Filoni, uh, the uh, uh, master himself before creating his own corner of the galaxy and moving into the live action with Mando and beyond. Up next, though, he's directing a feature film, as confirmed by Kathleen Kennedy. Speculation abounds as to what the movie will involve. Um, is it another step into the wider Mandalorian Ahsoka Thrawn story, or could it be the culmination of the whole thing? Uh, this is what Filoni says. He says, culmination is an interesting word. Uh, speaking to Empire at Star Wars Celebration, the way I look at it, uh, there are small stories, and then there's the big story of the day two. A New Hope, Empire, and Return of the Jedi tell the important parts of the tale that really define the history of that period. There are all kinds of sub-stories underneath that. We've been building all those small stories. Uh, if the Disney uh, series have allowed time to establish these characters in the New Republic era they inhabit, the movie is all about creating a bigger picture. Filoni says, to me, a theatrical experience has to have a big idea, a monumental moment in that time period that changes what's happening. 
what Tony Gilroy has done in Andor and what we did in Rebels, everything then changes when Luke blows up the Death Star. You're looking at those moments that define an era. And that's what films really should be about, whether it's creating, uh, whether it's characters coming together or a defining moment. Um, so it does say place your bets now uh, for what the defining moment will be. What do you think about that, Stuart, uh, in regards to his approach and his support, what he feels the importance to Star Wars movies truly are? So what I OK, that's really interesting, because, yeah, what it kind of what he brings up is like the idea of Luke destroying the Death Star. You know, if you watch that at, at, as it is as a movie and, and uh, A New Hope, take it as face value. That's awesome in its own right. But then the idea that, you know, shows like Andor Rebels build to that. They show you what led to Luke uh, destroying that Death Star. <clears throat> All those things that kind of built up to that. And I like the idea of him bringing uh, that up when it comes to this New Republic era, which, of course, takes place before the uh, uh, Rise of the First Order era. Um, the idea that there could be some more defining moments that leads to, you know, the uh, Resistance group helping to destroy uh, Starkiller base or, you know, defeating the First Order. There may be a little more uh, things that kind of built to that that we never learned about and that I could see them, uh, you know, kind of showing us within this uh, New Republic era, within the new upcoming uh star wars movie that he's working on uh the idea that if it's going to be a theatrical movie and if it's going to be about that era that he's been working on in television it's got to have like a big moment that really defines that era and then just really leads into the uh rise of the first order i find that fascinating i'm really excited to see whether or not that's the rise of the first order or if it's like the first uh indications of palpatine still being alive whatever that may be I i'm kind of excited to see yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you, man. Uh, I think there's there's something really cool about just the world building, you know, um, sort of behind it all um, and kind of bouncing off of what Kathleen Kennedy said in the size, a sense of like really wanting to eventize these movies. You know, what Dave Filoni is saying is like those those are event movies, you know, like those are the big climactic sort of moments and defining moments in Star Wars eras uh, that you need to certainly happen on the big screen. Um, and, and that's really what those trilogies that we've gotten have definitely represented. But now the fact that we're getting these additional movies, I think, especially to kind of build into the timeline that we already have just to showcase all these other big events that definitely have taken place. But the fact that you're leaving those big events for the theatrical experience, I think is extremely um, important. Uh, and so I, I love the work that they're doing in regards to just building up that world alone uh, to get us to those big moments. Um, going back to the article here real quick, Stuart, um, he does, uh, let me go ahead, can I pull it back up here? Okay, yeah. Going back to the article though, uh, it does say, um, place your bets now um, for what those defining moments will be. With this fluid approach to storytelling, with characters weaving in and out of various series and medians, uh, Filoni is open to all possibilities. He says, I have ideas, of course. I will not tell you what they are, um, but with Thrawn then entering um, the play, the fall of the New Republic in the distance, and plenty of Legends canon material to draw from, um, uh, it should make for a thrilling tale. He says, there are little things along the way that I've built across different mediums, all in preparation for things that come later, promises Filoni. Uh, here's hoping his film won't be far away. Um, God, this man is just a 
fucking genius, Stuart. Um, <laughs> I honestly, you know, I, I honestly could listen to Dave Filoni talk Star Wars like all day long. Um, mm-hmm. He he has such a way of like hyping you up as a fan um, by like giving you great nuggets and, and insightful pieces of information without really spoiling anything for you. Like he just knows how to be a hype man. Uh, for real Star Wars nerds like ourselves. Um, and so when he says little things like this, man, it really gets me uh, excited for what's to come. I'm Look, man, give me Amara Jade um, ex- at some point in time. I'll definitely take that. If you want to literally recreate the Heir to the Empire trilogy, I would be more than happy if that's the route that you want to go ahead and create, Dave Filoni. I think a lot of people will certainly be happy about that. Um, but if anything, Stuart, this just gets me hyped for the movies that have been greenlit. You know what I mean? Um, And so the fact that we're getting not only just his movie, but I got to think that that same mindset not only applies to his film, but everybody else's. You know, I think, I don't remember if it was in this um, article or another article that I might've read where he also emphasizes um seeing revenge of the sith on the big screen and episode three and if you remember how that movie starts out you start out in the middle of a battle in the stars mm-hmm. with the cool aerial combat of obi-wan and uh and anakin cutting through the starships i mean when i saw on the big screen with the heavy bass of the fucking drums uh the soundtrack was epic uh, in a movie theater seeing that and you open up to this big battle that's happening. Um, those are like defining moments that are needed for Star Wars on the big screen. Uh, and I think Dave Filoni understands that. And so when he puts together this culmination or this big event era, that's the type of visuals that I'm seeing like Dave Filoni really trying to go for to capture our imagination and really bring his animation vision that he does so well to life uh, now sort of in live action. So I'm really eager for what this man's going to do. And I'm hoping that his knowledge for Star Wars spreads out to others um, that he surrounds himself with in regards to really helping James Mangold put this film together and the writers and directors of the, you know, the upcoming Ray film. I I really hope um, that they listen to what he's saying here, along with what Kathleen Kennedy is saying in regards to you want these event movies. uh, And I really hope that they take um, that responsibility sort of very seriously in regards to building up these upcoming movies. But uh, this gives me hope, Stuart. This gives me hope. Uh, gives me a lot of hope. I especially got excited when he mentioned, uh, you know, more Star Wars Legends to come because that's the one thing he's done really well is adapting Star Wars Legends and fitting it into the new uh, DC canon. He's been he did it or DC, sorry, Star Wars canon. My bad. Um, because he did it really well with Thrawn and Rebels. He did an amazing job with the Dark Troopers uh, in uh, the Mandalorian, especially in like uh, you know season three, getting to see like the the final like kind of like a or at least a different take on that final boss battle in the first dark forces game i thought that was kind of amazing so i look forward to seeing what other like legends material he decides to bring in um my fingers are of course crossed for uh kyle katarn and uh, yes. dash randar 
my two favorite I, legends characters. <laughs> yeah, I was always a big I was always a big Kyle fan, uh for sure. I always appreciated him, especially during like the uh I used to read a lot of the new Jedi uh, new Jedi Order series uh stuff with the Yuzan Vong and things like that. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, I used to, I used to love them in there. Um I will say also um if anything like this kind of opens my eyes to just um I lost my train of thought. God damn it. <laughs> it was just, Oh, you know what? If anything, the fact that I appreciate that Dave Filoni does his homework, you know, mm-hmm. that he, that he puts in the extra work because, you know, you brought up the idea of bringing Thrawn to life. You know, he literally talks to Timothy Zahn. Like he can, he can, he can, you know, he really has these conversations so that he understands the character so that not only does he stay true to Timothy Zahn's vision, but he, he tries to make him as believable as possible when it comes to uh, adapting him in a live action, which doesn't seem like it's a very easy feat to do. But when you've got somebody like Dave Filoni that literally goes to the source um, Mm -hmm. and literally learns and goes out of his way to make sure that he's getting it right, I think that just shows the love that he has for it and just how how good for this franchise that he is to certainly have around. Yeah, and the fact that Timothy uh, Zahn himself even, you know, has expressed appreciation for the way they've done Thrawn in Star Wars Rebels. Yeah. Yeah, so I really hope that 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 mindset really carries over. But uh, for me, I just thought that was an interesting piece by Empire because it did feel like um, there are moments that uh, Kathleen Kennedy and Dave Filoni are sort of on the same page. So um, it's always always great to see them talk about that. Um, let's go ahead and move on to our next topic, though. Here, Stuart, um, we got we're going to jump from we're going to go to more television here, real quick. Um, and I wanted to get your thoughts on this because um, while I personally have not checked out the anime um one one piece um it's it's uh it's getting its opportunity here in the states um uh, they're going to be doing a live action series over on netflix um and the creator of one piece is actually in the news to give us a little bit of an update and i am kind of curious Stuart, to kind of know whether or not this gives you confidence uh if you're worried or concerned um or certainly let me know your thoughts man so let's go ahead and dive into this uh this one comes to us from variety uh it says uh, the one piece creator offers an update on the netflix live action series will be setting sail very soon is what he says um so let's go ahead and dive into this real quick here all right um so this comes to us from variety it says the one piece creator has offered fans an update on the upcoming live action series based off of the popular manga it says uh, i've been working with tomorrow studios and netflix for quite some time now um even though they understand each of the characters we obviously come from very different cultures so when it comes to entertainment we have different codes skill sets and aims sometimes it could be frustrating for both sides it felt like we're all trying to get to the same place so how come we're not on the same wavelength there was even a time when i thought is a foreign production even possible uh oda went on to say that all involved in the show have been hard at work this entire time and that each and every entity involved is working in sync. And while it was previously announced that the show would debut in 2023, he says 
they've promised that we won't launch it until I'm satisfied. Um, so yeah, so that's what the uh, creator for One Piece is saying uh, as they continue to try and put together this live action uh, adaption for this series. Um, you know, Stuart, this sounds like this is um, certainly a challenge. Um, one that it seems like they are very much still hard at work at. It definitely doesn't come across like they've given up. Um, but I'm sure just based off of what he says, he definitely seems to have had his doubts uh, in regards to it. Um, how do you take what he said, though? As somebody, and I'm sure you probably have your maybe your own experience and background with One Piece. So hearing about this from the creator himself, um, how do you feel about his thoughts? Uh, well, I've never uh, watched or uh, One Piece oh, or read any okay. of the manga, but as someone who loved Dragon Ball Z back in the day and hated Dragon Ball Evolution, the things that I'm hearing from this are a lot more promising than what we got with Dragon Ball Evolution. I mean, the fact alone that he's a more, that he seems to have more involvement than the Toriyama, who, um, you know, according to him, was given the name executive producer, but he had little to like nothing to do with the actual product of Dragon Ball Evolution. All the notes he tried to like send the studio were completely ignored, never even looked at. So, you know, he there was like a lot of disappointment there from his end. So here, at least it's cool that they're allowing him to, you know, not only be on set, but also seemingly be involved in some of the creative decisions going forward to the point where they won't even release it until he's satisfied with the final product. Um, I do like that. So even if this uh, show doesn't end up turning out good, at least you can know that um, they at least did everything with, you know, to please the original creator, which is just something that is uh, very, very rare to see. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, I was going to say that's for me, that's actually pretty refreshing. Um, and I do think Blossom um, did come through with that another super chat. Thank you so much, uh, Blossom saying one piece. I got a co I got a cosplay of Nami. Uh, her design is my favorite. Um, and then Blossom uh, also says, uh, I heard the creator is married to Nami stage actress. I did not, uh, I did not know that. Uh, but uh, thank you so much once again, Blossom, for um, the support to the channel. I promise you it will definitely go to good use. Um, so thank you so much for the support. Um, but yeah, man. Um, you know, Stuart, if anything, I, I will say this. I definitely agree with you. Like for me, I one, I do appreciate the idea of... Um, that they have promised him, we're not going to do this until you're satisfied. Um, to me, that gives a lot of faith in allowing the creator to certainly create. You know, don't get me wrong. I'm sure Netflix probably has their studio fingers all over this as best as they possibly can to certain, some certain extent, or at least given a lot of notes to certainly kind of, you know, change things a little bit. Like he said, they have the same vision of where they want to go, but the process of getting there is, you know, is um, a, definitely a little bit difficult and frustrating at times. But I think the fact that they're trying to work through it is inspiring. I feel like, especially in the time and day where it's like having two completely polar opposites automatically make you enemies and you just, you know, no negotiations, you don't talk things through, you just cut things, cut ties and go on your own way sort of thing. So like for me, I kind of appreciate the idea of them working through their differences um, and trying to create a show that is satisfying and that lives up to the expectations that the creator has so much as 
what Netflix certainly has in mind for us. And look, I, I don't think that this is a easy task, like at all. Like, I just think like, while I personally haven't read the manga, like I just feel there's so many characters, there's so many freaking episodes, you know, like I wonder what their vision of trying to really fit that sort of storytelling into live action will certainly look like, uh, and especially visually also. So um, I do think there's definitely going to be a lot of hurdles. And while we have, he's expressed those difficulties and those hurdles, there is something promising about the idea of everybody still working hard at work. We're going to get through this. We're going to make it work. Um, and uh, hopefully we'll get the vision that we're certainly um, that that he certainly wants. So for me, it's, you know, it may be worrisome, maybe for some people, but I, I definitely do look at it as um, as inspiring. You know what I mean? Uh, to a certain extent. Yeah, I, I got to say it's even though I've never watched that much One Piece, it doesn't look like an anime that translates to live action very well. Like I could probably name 20 other anime that I could do in live action way easier than one piece. So I, at the very least got to give them kudos for attempting this. This is uh this is ambitious if nothing else. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I think that's a, a perfect word for ambitious. Um, so it's definitely going to have its um, its difficulties from time to time. But um, let us know your thoughts, guys. You hear from the creator. Um, the fact that I think, again, that he's attached to this project, that they're not necessarily fully doing this without his you know, his say um, to me is always eye opening. I, I love the combination. I love the comparison that you gave about DBZ. Uh, and the idea of not having the creator as, uh, you know, uh, connected to the production of that, I think uh, that is definitely valuable. Uh, and I think that'll go certainly a long way. So, yeah, we'll see how, we'll see how it goes. Um, all right, guys, the next topic that we want to go ahead and bring your way today, um, Mortal Kombat is back in the news. Um, Stuart, real quick, how did you feel about the Mortal Kombat movie that dropped on HBO Max? Tell me again. Gotta gotta be honest, I I didn't hate it as much as everyone else. It was exactly what I expected, expected and mm -hmm. I kind of had a good time with it. I I didn't think it was bad. Okay, um, so I just wanted to get your perspective. I I remember watching it, but I don't remember it. You know what I'm saying? Like it's just not memorable enough. It's to not. Me. Um, so uh, if anything, you know, my level of excitement for a number two. Look, I think it probably did killer numbers, no pun intended, when it dropped on HBO Max. I think a lot of people were hyped for it. I did the fight sequences and stuff. I mean, all all great, you know what I mean? But as far as like substance, I am, um, you know, for me, I definitely wanted more out of it. And um, I, so I felt it was definitely lacking in some areas to the point to where I barely remember this movie. Um <laughs> But um, Mortal Kombat 2 is definitely happening. This A sequel should not surprise anybody, um, as a sequel is certainly on its way. And um, I will be curious to see where they go with the story next. But we actually have some casting news um, in regards to it. Look, you know, I think at the end of the Mortal Kombat movie, didn't they, did they not tease Johnny Cage at some point in time? Johnny Cage is certainly supposed to be coming. Uh, and uh, if this article is correct... They have, in fact, landed on somebody and are currently in final talks. Uh, so, Stuart, let's go ahead and talk about this um, because it seems as though Mortal Kombat 2 has found its Johnny Cage and none other than Carl Urban. What? <laughs> what is happening right now? Um, Carl Urban in final talks to play Johnny Cage in Mortal Kombat 2. You know, Stuart... This kind of goes back to what we mentioned before about like 
when we do fantasy casting, right? Like when we fan cast for characters that we <laughs> have in mind um, and people get really pissed off, like when their, their actor isn't chosen, right? And one of the things that I said was, you know, look, sometimes we got a completely different vision for the character than what the writer certainly has. Um, and in this case, Stuart, we're on different wavelengths, my guy, uh, because Carl Urban is not my first choice for Johnny Cage. <laughs> and I honestly do not know, <laughs> I honestly do not know the direction they are taking this character. Um, look, I like Carl, Carl Urban. I'm just gonna say though, not my first choice. But uh, let's let's maybe dive into the article. I don't know if it's going to give me any other reassuring comments, but Carl Urban is in his final talks. The star is a fan favorite character, Johnny Cage, in the sequel to New Line's 2021 adventure uh, action adventure Mortal Kombat. Simon McQuaid, who directed the 2021 film, is set to return. Jeremy Slater from Umbrella Academy and Moon Knight wrote the screenplay. For the sequel, that that is that's inspiring. The previous film was a new adaption. Okay, we already know about that. Um, the post-credit scene at the end of the film teased the inclusion of Johnny Cage in the sequel. Um, man, is that is that really? That's 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 really all of it, Stuart. Um, yeah, that's really all of it. He's in final talks. I thought it was going to give us maybe some more details, but that's that's really it. Um, tell me, man, how are you feeling about this, Stuart? So maybe not my first choice only because I was assuming that they would be casting like younger, but I love this. I, <laughs> I am excited. <laughs> not going to lie. When you were kind of building up, like, you know, your thoughts, I actually thought you were going to go in a very different direction. <laughs> I was very surprised because, um, very different from the kind of take that they had on Johnny Cage in the original like 90s Mortal Kombat movie, but very much how I imagine Johnny Cage when, uh, you know, playing him on the 16-bit, you know, Sega Genesis version of Mortal Kombat. Basically, okay, when okay. you have to rely on those pixelated sprites and you're trying <laughs> to put like a person in your head when playing it. Um yeah, a Carl Urban douchebag type, uh, you know, <laughs> a actor type dude. That's how I imagine Johnny Cage. I don't imagine him the way he was played in the 90s movies. So I think Carl Urban is the perfect for the perfect actor for how I imagine Johnny Cage, basically. I love it, Stuart. I absolutely love it. Um, yeah, he just was, you know, I guess maybe maybe that's it. Maybe I'm just showing my, my old ass self uh, in regards to uh, having a a different vision. I just envisioned a younger Johnny Cage. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't even know how old Carl Urban is. Um, but like personality wise, yeah, I could totally see it. Um, I, I don't think I don't think it comes across too on the nose for the boys or anything like that. But I mean, if you're looking for a sarcastic asshole, yeah, Carl, you, you got you got it in, in Carl Urban for sure, and he could definitely do that like Hollywood douchebaggy type uh but so for me if anything i uh i was just thinking younger maybe um uh, more martial arts experience maybe I, I don't know but um yeah i just didn't fit johnny cage for me but i'm glad that you're pumped for this man yeah i i don't know why i mean see when i when i heard carl Ur urban i was like kano 
But uh, no, not Kano. <laughs> yeah, no, my, my mind now always just goes to his character from uh, The Boys. <laughs> yeah, right at this point. Yeah, at this point. Um, so, yeah, guys, let us know. Maybe I'm tripping. Um, how do you guys feel about Carl Urban possibly playing Johnny Cage? Again, this is, again, this is what I mentioned. This is one of those things where my fantasy casting definitely doesn't line up with uh, Jeremy Slater's here. But, again, I have no idea what he's writing, how he's writing these characters. Um, and maybe this certainly fits the bill perfectly. Um, but I will say, you know, I was while it didn't have a lot of information about Carl Urban, the idea of Jeremy Slater being brought on board as a, as a writer for me is more promising because if you guys recall, the original Mortal Kombat movie was written by a first-time writer. I think it was like his first time that he had written a, a, a big budget film or a big feature film. So um, the fact that we have somebody like Jeremy Slater kind of coming on board does give me confidence that maybe we might have a much more solid script in, in the original one. But that's me keeping my fingers crossed. Um, so we'll yeah. see. Is that how you and feel about it? Yeah, because unfortunately, and I hope this doesn't come off as mean, but uh, you can definitely tell someone's first script, uh, you know, and I'm not saying he can't improve. Obviously, everyone can improve, but you can definitely tell it's a first script for the person. Uh, but yeah, I am really looking forward to seeing how the uh, second one is written. Um, personally, I think you could have a lot more fun if you just made it a tournament movie, uh, which is kind of yeah. what they built up to at the end of the first movie. But I mean, it just it gives you uh, an excuse to not only have like like, you know, uh, you know, allies fighting each other and thus, you know, being put in tricky situations. It also gives you a cool excuse to have certain character moments in between battles, you know? Yeah, yeah. I dig that. I hope that's the route that they certainly go. Um, I think the idea of them bringing in another writer shows that they realize they got to make changes uh, somewhere. Um, so we'll see how um, the second one turns out. But yeah, guys, yeah. give us your thoughts on Carl Urban as Johnny Cage. Um, all right. And moving on to our last topic, uh, we're going to be revisiting one of those classics. Um, was this an 80s movie, the 90s movie? Uh, let me go ahead and uh, pull this up. I probably should have uh, figured that out real quick. 1993, we were graced with an epic action adventure by the name of Cliffhanger, ladies and gentlemen, starring Sylvester Stallone himself. Um it says, uh, IMBD says, a botched mid-air heist results in suitcases full of cash being searched for by various groups throughout the Rocky Mountains. Uh, and I think you've got Cliffhanger here himself, good old Sylvester Stallone. It was an outdoor, outdoor thriller in which a former mountain rescuer is pitted against a group of criminals who've lost $100 million in cash during their plane crash. Um, we're apparently getting ourselves a sequel, baby. Sylvester Stallone is putting back on his rock mountain gear, and he's going to be traversing another mountain, guys. Let's go ahead. And, I, I really don't know if that's the plot of the movie, but uh, Sylvester Stallone is back. Uh, we're going to be getting ourselves a cliffhanger sequel. Um, so I thought that was a pretty fascinating story. Let's go ahead and bring this up here real quick. Um, here we go. This is from uh, The Hollywood Reporter. That says Spencer Stallone sets cliffhanger reboot with the Angel Has Fallen director. Have you ever seen that film? The Angel Angel Has Fallen. Uh no, I remember there were there were like uh, two movies that came out that year. One of them was Angel Has Fallen. Uh, the other one was another movie with the exact same plot, and I can't remember the name of it. But <laughs> I just remember thinking they looked the exact like they were the exact same film. Yeah, it was like the president or something like that getting uh 
kidnapped or the White House being attacked, right? And they had like the Secret Service agent that had to protect them. Yeah, and then the prote- the president had to learn uh, self defense in the middle of it, and I think that happens in both <laughs> versions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Um, but um, we're getting ourselves a cliffhanger movie by that guy that directed that movie. Uh, let's go ahead and dive into this real quick, Stuart. Um, this says uh, Sylvester Stallone is ready to scale new heights with the reboot of his 1993 action thriller. Have you seen the original, Stuart? No, I was actually wanting to watch it Saturday night, but I got off work really, really late yesterday, so I just didn't have a chance to. It says uh, Rick Roman, uh, who helmed the action movies Angel Has Fallen and Greenland, is set to direct the feature, which will see Stallone reprise his role of mountain climber and rescue ranger. Gabe Walker. uh, Oh, that that was his name. Gabe Walker. Um, The reboot has a script by Mark uh, Bian Cooley, a writer, consultant, producer on Amazon series The Hunter. Um, Neil Horitz, uh, original film best known for the multi billion dollar Fast and the Furious franchise, will produce the production as well. Um, yeah, so it's going to be, we're going to be getting another one here. I'm trying to see if it says. Um, Here we go. It says, growing up with the biggest action films of the 80s and 90s, working on many of them myself, Cliffhanger was by far one of my favorite spectacles. Uh, To be at the helm of the next chapter, scaling the Italian Alps with the legend himself, Sylvester Stallone, is a dream come true. It's going to be a great challenge and blast taking this franchise to new heights and a responsibility I don't take lightly. I don't take lightly. So, yeah. Uh, we're getting a new one. Uh, look, you know what? I'm going to be honest, Stuart. I, it's been years since I've uh, checked out Cliffhanger. Uh, I probably would want to go ahead and uh, refresh my memory um, and go ahead and see this film again because uh, it has been a minute. But if anything, you know, I almost think it's kind of interesting timing for this movie. And I said it just because rock climbing has become such a much bigger popular sport um, than it has been in years like for me you know i even watched recently a rock climbing netflix documentary of like these gentlemen climbing all different types of um uh mountains with like no rope just like just their equipment uh and just scaling these monstrosities dude like how these people survive like for so long doing this stuff is unbelievable to me but the netflix documentary literally specifically focused on like one person and you get to watch this man just scale these incredible mountains, not just regular mountains, but like ice mountains too. Like he literally put his like genius and prodigy like to uh, just doing, just crushing these huge mountains. Um, and I feel like it's almost like a fitness thing now too, right? A lot of people do like for as a hobby, recreational stuff, they go, you know, mountain climbing or just rock climbing sort of thing. So I do think the the, the growth of this sport um, has certainly grown to um, the heights that it is, uh, where a sequel to Cliffhanger actually probably would be pretty cool during this um, uh, this time period that we're currently in right now. So I find it an interesting timing, and I think um, Sylvester Stallone might be onto something here because uh, I do think that there is uh, an audience for a Cliffhanger sequel right now. Um, and Sylvester Stallone hasn't really fallen off. I still think he's a really great actor. Uh, I do think he could pull off this role once again. 
Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm down for this tour. What about you? Yeah. Uh, if it, if it looks good and it, it'll, or I'll probably watch it at some point regardless, but, uh, you know, I always love it when a reboot of a movie I haven't seen like comes out. Cause it gives me excuse to like, check out the original and, uh, see what I've been missing out on all on, uh, from, wow, sorry. And see what I've been missing out on all these years. Um, and yeah, to see, uh, what, how the new one is. It's also like kind of fun too. um, when it's this type of a sequel where it's like years later, cause you can not only uh, see like how much the actors have grown since then, but you can also see how much film itself has changed since then. Like the mm-hmm. filmmaking techniques that they use, um, you know, way things are shot. And it's kind of fun to try to look for those homages to the original. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like I'm expecting some beautiful shots with some dr- drones and shit. I'm looking at, I'm hoping for some really great angles, something you got to see like on an IMAX screen or really kind of like appreciate just like nature and just how huge some of these mountains are that he's going to be traversing. Uh, I do wonder what the plot's going to be. You can't crash another plane and millions of dollars. Um, so I do wonder if maybe it's like an avalanche rescue or something like that. I, I'm really interested to kind of see what, um, what you get into on a mountain. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we'll see guys. Uh, let us know your thoughts. What did you guys think about the first cliffhanger? If you've uh, ever revisited the 1993 film by Sylvester Stallone. Um, and are you uh, up for a possible sequel here? Definitely go ahead and uh, let us know your thoughts in the comment section box below. And Stuart with that, uh, that will wrap up all of our main topics for the day, man. Not too bad, brother. Thanks for uh, for joining me today. Thanks for having cr- me. I think we had some good conversations, man. We crushed some really important topics today. Uh, had some uh, really fun deep dives, I think. Yeah, agreed. Um, but Stuart, I think you know what time it is. I do indeed. It is time for live viewer questions, questions, questions. And uh, we always appreciate your guys' questions. Should we put on uh, some music? Should we put on some music for uh, for this segment again? Yeah, we're gonna put some background music on here for some. Uh, yeah, let's let's get into let's get into um, it's pretty um, chill. Yeah, a little chill mood right now, shall we? Awesome. Uh, all right, I'm gonna go ahead and do this. So for those of you who would like to go ahead and drop a live viewer question, how do you go about doing that? It's pretty simple, man. Pretty simple. I'm going to walk you through it right now. Um, if I actually had my YouTube channel up. Hold on one moment. <laughs> I promise this is a lot simpler than this, y'all. All right. So all you're going to do is just simply just going to go over to our main page here, our YouTube channel. A plus your report. Uh, it's not showing. Oh, boom. There you go. You can find us there. Click on this community tab right here. Usually anytime after Wednesday or Thursday, we're going to be posting a live viewer question post, as you can see right here. Once that's up, submit your question over, guys, and we'll tackle them for you. We got 20 questions today, Stuart. People are back. They're back with more questions. Awesome. Uh, So let's go ahead and tackle this. Uh, Blossom, do you remember the Rangers having civilian powers like the Beetleborgs did? Uh, Sort of thought of bringing them back for our uh, Tokyo adaption. Like Zachary having clairvoyance or Sam having telekinesis. But um, yeah, do you remember the Rangers having civilian powers like the Beetleborgs did? Yeah, during a good majority of the Disney era. Um, yeah, I thought they were okay. They just, it felt yeah. like one of those things that were rarely, they. it's like they rarely remembered that they had them at times though. I, uh, how do you feel about the concept of civilian powers? Like, you know, they tackled that also in the 2017 Power Ranger movie. 
Oh yeah, um, they had they had civilian powers also. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't mind the idea of them. Uh, I like the idea of what the way it was done in the uh, in the Power Rangers 2017 movie, where it's like they still have a lot of their uh, enhanced uh, strength. It's just, you know, it's just not at full power until they morph. I kind of like that idea, and uh, I wouldn't mind seeing that done in an actual season. Um, honestly, uh, you know, maybe I gotta go back and revisit some of these seasons to watch and see how some of their civilian powers have been used, but I'm not really necessarily the biggest fan of it. Um, not that I have anything against it. Like, that's cool. But I don't know. I just, uh, for me, I just rather their powers only be accessible when they when they morph. You know, I, I'd like that um, vulnerability and helplessness of um, not being in costume and having those powers to kind of rely on um, mm -hmm. until you actually morph. So for me, it just kind of raises the stakes a little bit of having them more vulnerable. So I, that's, that's that's the reason why I'm, I'm really not the biggest fan of it. But um yeah, if you appreciate it, awesome. Because I do like the way some of them were utilized uh, in the past, for sure. Yeah. Um, let's see here. Who's next? Marcy. Oh, they did technically bring them back for Beast Morphers, I just realized. Because remember, uh, what was it? Devin was really fast. Uh, oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember the other two. Right. The Blue Ranger was super strong. The Yellow Ranger could jump really high. <laughs> I can't believe I forgot both their names. But Ravi can do that. Was Ravi did have that same strength? Yeah, he outside has the strength even outside the suit. Outside yeah. The suit? Okay. Um, let's see. That's a good remembering. I appreciate you getting that. Um, Marcelino, um, back in the early days of Alverse, there was a tradition where at the end of a season, one of the main characters would be killed off or written off of the show. Sometimes it would be emotional and impactful, like Tommy Merlin or Henry Allen. And sometimes it would piss people off, like Laura Lance. Uh, were you glad that in the later seasons of the Hourverse they went away from that? Or do you miss that trope? Um, I kind of miss the trope. <laughs> um, but that's just me. I I, I just like stakes. I, I do. I like the idea of understanding. Like, look, you're vigilantes. You guys literally have no power. Like, if they, especially, you know, if they were to be killed off, or the case may be, I just think that's just what comes with the territory of being a superhero. And I just think that's a realistic aspect to being a vigilante. Um, so, like, I know people were pissed off that they killed Laurel Lance off. I was like, yes. Um, I just, I, I just didn't care for her as Black Canary. I was such a Sarah Lance fan. Um, so I didn't, I didn't, I didn't care for people being upset about the Laurel Land stuff, but um, I, it's a trope I want back. I, I, I kind of miss it, Stuart. Does that make me an asshole? <laughs> yes, totally. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> no, it's. I, I just feel like if it's every time at the end of the season, then you kind of like you know it makes it less impactful because you expect it. I think it's just better. Like you shouldn't be afraid to kill awesome. your characters off in uh -huh. a show, but you just shouldn't like leave it to the very end of the season as like kind of the tradition. It should be unexpected. We shouldn't see it coming. You know, it should be like walking dead where it's like, it can just happen at any moment. I get you. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I totally get you on that in that regards. The fact that it happens at the end of the season for me, I'm just, I'm I'm cool with it happen. Well, I guess I really don't care. Uh, for me, for I, well, I don't want to say I don't care because you're right. The predictability of it's like, oh, somebody's gonna die in this one. Um, so maybe not even the fi finale. Maybe like the penultimate episode. Maybe like two or three episodes before. Then I'm perfectly cool with it. Um, 
but for me, I, I just do it because it's uh, it just feels like the stakes are higher. But I, I get you totally. Um, Nicole Robertson's here. What's up, Nicole? Good to see you in here today. Um, all right. So, uh, Marcelino, yeah, there are a lot of questions. So, if anything, um, save that second question for next week. Um, Jessica Friedman, if uh, Superman and Lois gets a fourth season, do you think they should leave Smallville and go back to Metropolis? And would you like to see a Power Rangers oh, <laughs> SPA series starring Aisha and Adam? I was like, Power Rangers Spa series? I what, is, what are you doing that type of series? Oh, SPA. Okay. <laughs> I'm, sorry. I'm sorry, Jessica. Um, yeah, so for a fourth season, if they do get a fourth season, do you want them to leave Smallville, Stewart, or go back to Metropolis, or what? Yeah, I've been hearing that as a rumor, that that might be what happens, and I wouldn't mind that. Uh, it would be uh, cheaper to film, from what I hear, and therefore they could actually do a lot more with the special effects budget. And plus, it would just give us something new, too. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I would be down. I think this is a part of me that does want them to go back to Metropolis. But to be fair, I haven't really watched seasons two and three very much um, to really give an opinion like about how I feel about Smallville. Like, oh, it's too small. I'm just, you know, Metropolis just feels so Superman to me. But um, I have appreciated what they've been able to do in Smallville from what I have seen. I've really enjoyed the uh, the location. So, um, yeah, yeah I'm, cool with, I'm cool with whatever. Um would I like to see a Power Ranger or SPA series starring Aisha and Adam? No, I'm good. I'm good. What about you, Stuart? Uh, I wouldn't have to really star Aisha and Adam per se, but yeah, I think in general an SBA series could be kind of cool. Um, I wouldn't want it to have like kind of the usual like uh, Power Ranger budget though. I feel like if you're going to do a SBA where it's like clearly they're like space explorers, like I want to see them give it like, you know, a little bigger than a Power Ranger budget. It's got to be decent enough to really sell me on the fact that they're in space. I get you. You went like a some Stargate, uh, Star Trek. Uh, yeah, you know, like, like it doesn't have to be like current Star Trek budget, but you know, like let's say, how about like next gen budget? <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Yeah, give me a next gen budget Power Ranger show. Uh, we got uh, Ram Jam next. He says, "Hey Adam, how's it going? Hope you and your family are doing well." A couple questions: If you got a chance, watch an interview that Andre. Um, comedy nerd did with ron wasserman if not here's the link uh, okay i have to check that out i'm sorry ram jam i didn't get a chance to check that out beforehand after the flash movie do you think we will see michael keaton reprise his role as batman keep up the good work oh that's a good question Stuart. um no look um batgirl did get canceled um yes i will refresh the page Let me refresh this page real quick for you nicole um batman batgirl did get um canceled Stuart. we knew that michael keaton was supposed to have a pretty big presence in that movie um i hear that he is was also supposed to be in aquaman 2. i don't know if he's in that though anymore if they cut that scene out from um, what i heard they reshot it with ben affleck and then oh really and now that might be cut out of the movie too <laughs> okay so that's you know look that's interesting i i was hoping that maybe the aquaman scene would still stay in there just to give michael keaton a chance of returning because boy i tell you man i think there's just such a batman beyond there somewhere in some capacity um and i think james gunn is a smart enough man 
to um, to know to know that or realize that. But there's a lot of moving pieces right now, and I just don't know. But I'm gonna say yes, Stuart. I'm gonna say yes. Uh, I do think James Gunn. Maybe he didn't like what was done with the character or how he was built into the DCU. But I'm hoping that uh, if Michael Keaton is open to it, I'm hoping there's a future there. So I will say yes, Stuart. What about you? I want to say yes, because I do love Michael Keaton's Batman, and I'm really looking forward to him in Flashpoint. But if if they got him, I don't see him as a uh, Batman for a long period of time. I see it being a very temporary thing and seeing how they want this to kind of be like, you know, a DC universe with a Batman that can commit to the role for, you know, several years. I don't think they would want to take that risk with Michael Keaton, but I could still see him returning if they do like another either Elseworlds like movie, like if they want to do a Batman Beyond movie still, but have that be an Elseworlds film, I could totally see him go in that direction. Or if they do like another like crisis type event, but you know, with the DC universe instead of the Arrowverse, uh, I could definitely see him coming back in that type of an event story. Yeah, I'm definitely not under any impression that Homeboy would be like our next Batman. Like, I, there's there's no way like on a full time role. Um, but seeing him come back as Batman or or Bruce Wayne to have a a significant role or as a mentorship, I can I can still see that uh, sort of happening. Um, but um, we'll see. Uh, if anything, who knows what James Gunn's future is going to do? But I just think he's too smart of a man to be like man, we got Michael Keaton for this Flash movie. It's it's hopefully going to be extremely well-received, well take a lot of money. People are going to want to see him back. I just got to think he finds some way to bring him back in some capacity. But uh, we'll see, man. Keep my fingers crossed, that's for sure. Um, Johnny Marrero, um, do you think we will see more Min Kwan in the future? What do you think, Stuart? Uh... I think it's a huge possibility if it, if uh, the, they decide to keep the show going after Cosmic Fury. I definitely feel like the next team uh, we're going to see is probably going to be led by her. Yeah, I'm I'm really hoping so. I do think we can see more of her. You know, Simon Bennett had really glowing comments of um, Min Kwan, uh, Min, uh, Min, uh, of uh, Charlie Kirsch this week. Um, very, very glowing compliments. Uh, and I, I definitely agree with them in the sense that um, just give her more time. She'll definitely even break into this character even more, I think. But um, I definitely do think she can certainly carry that uh, that stardom. Um, do you think the new TMNT Mutant Mayhem movie will lead to more spinoffs in the near future? Uh, I think if it's well-received, yeah. Uh, maybe a, n another Nickelodeon television series spinoff out of this or something like that or a netflix or a, another streaming service sort of um spinoff series perhaps um so i do think um there's potential there if it does well if it's well received then yeah but uh, who knows what do you think Stuart? uh yeah if it's well received uh i i see them more like focusing on just like kind of uh sequels not necessarily spinoffs uh for you know going forward but uh, if those sequels do good, then I could see spinoffs in the future. Um, and then who we got? We got, uh, oh, did I lose some? Oh, there we go. Datilla, uh, which uh, shows and or movies will be hurt or affected by the WGA strike? Um, if you recall, the 27, 2007, 20, 2008 strike affected a lot of movies and shows. 
Um, yeah, we kind of highlighted that at the at the top in our main uh, topic. So I guess your question was technically our main or our honorable mention uh, here today that we certainly talked about. So I hope um, some of the insight that we wind up were able to give you earlier um, was definitely eye opening in regards to that. But um, I'm trying to think if there's any other shows, Stuart, that maybe was that we didn't talk about that might uh, might be affected. Um, you got any off the top of your head that you'd know? Of? probably creature commando and waller uh both of which i think are supposed to come out next year but they're probably going to be delayed yes you might be you might be right uh in regards to that um let's see and then if superman and lois gets renewed that'll definitely be a show that gets affected yeah that's definitely another one I was trying to see if there was like an updated is there like a, a, a up to the hour like list of like shows that have been affected that are as they roll out that i don't know but um a lot a lot of st stuff is going to be uh affected and again we even talked about shows that were in production right now or at least like um getting ready to start filming um, because one of the ideas of having a writer on board is to make script changes and corrections and if something comes up in the middle of filming so it feels very much like look if you're about to go in front of the camera and the strike is happening you're very much locked into the script that you're kind of given um and can hopefully you know create a solid movie with what you got uh, without having to do sort of any other rewrites on there and again we're also seeing a lot of showrunners um, that are WGA members, but are also at the same time, you know, can do other producing duties uh, as a showrunner who are not going back also kind of striking on all their work in support of the WGA. Uh, we've seen some of the companies out there really trying to demand their workers to get back to work. Um, if like, look, if you're a showrunner, we still need you in that capacity. You may not have to write anything, but you're still, you know, you still have to kind of come to work. So uh, a lot of the shows in the television and uh, a lot of the films that we are um, uh, really about to enter production are certainly going to be affected by this. Um, so definitely we'll try and keep you guys as updated as we possibly can. And if you guys want to be updated on things like that, check us out on our Facebook page. Um, every day we're keeping you guys updated and what's going on that's where we get all of our main topics to talk about from so check out our facebook page on a daily basis uh, you'll definitely uh, be caught up in regards to whether your favorite movie uh, or television show has been affected by this um doomsday this kind of ties back to my question from last stream during the filming of guardians of the galaxy who do you think had it worse between zola zaldana and dave batista I'd say Dave Batista because unless you're referring to just the third one, because I think in the first one, Dave Batista is like, you know, shirtless most of it. So it wasn't just like his face and arms that had to get painted. It was mm -hmm. like his whole body. Whereas like, I think with Gamora, it was like her arms and her face. So her face. I'd, I'd say probably Dave Batista had just a little bit harder. Yeah. If I had to pick anybody, I probably would go with, um, with Dave for sure on that one. Yeah. Um, Let's see here. Uh, Power Rangers Legacy, the key to 
future Power Ranger team-ups. You know how the 25th anniversary episode of Power Rangers Super Ninja Steel Dimensions in Danger? While it wasn't that great of an anniversary episode, what I found really cool and beneficial was the Dimension Transport device that Wes introduced, which was created by the Time Force Rangers. Why I found this device really fascinating was that if Power Rangers were to continue in the future in our current franchise, or either if it takes place in another alternate dimension or the main universe, it's the best and easiest way for a team up and crossover to happen. As long as the device itself finds its way to that new team, it would be the best way to bring back past Rangers uh, teams to and from our current universe. This device already helped establish that both RPM and Dino Charge were in uh, two separate dimensions when Wes brought over Coda and Gemma. I think that's a really good um, point that he's making there. Um, Gemma most definitely gave Dr. K the same remote when she appeared in the Beast uh, Morphers penultimate episode source code to help with Nate after he learned he was um, the one who recreated Evox or Vengex. We already saw that Jason had that exact same device and grid connection after Devin called him from the morphing grid. Uh, likely the MMPR team handed Jason uh, the device um, from either Tommy or Rocky uh, when they jumped out of the portal before the battle. So as for the Ranger, as for Jonathan Entwistle's reboot, if they were to ever cross over with our franchise and if Hasbro were to continue Power Rangers while filming the reboot, we can just assume that the remote somehow got lost in time due to some weird time travel uh, experiment. Um, you know, I wouldn't even necessarily say that it had to get lost in some time. I mean, not. I don't think there's anything to say that the dimension in which Power Rangers franchise takes place in doesn't eventually discover the Jonathan and Whistle reboot. And then all they would have to do, I would assume, is attune their remote to be able to access that alternate one. And look, if uh, good old you know, um, Austin St. John or David Yost wants to jump through a portal and pop up in the kids programming world on Jonathan Entwistle's reboot. I think that's totally plausible, bro. Like, I totally think so. I mean, I think you make a good point, Power Rangers Legacy, and like bringing, because we've kind of talked about that before, I thought, Stuart, about like, you know, there's an opportunity because we already are dealing with the multiverse when it comes to Power Rangers, that you can create your Jonathan Entwistle reboot if you want to and still have that possibility of introducing or including the other franchises, if that's something that you eventually want to do. Um, but the idea that Power Rangers Legacy literally lets us know, like, hey, just, just look back at um, an object that already exists in Power Rangers that would make something capable like that. I think that's uh, some pretty good points there uh yeah i i agree um you know i think because they introduced the multiverse so like kind of um sorry because the multiverse is well established in the power rangers universe is what i meant to say uh i could definitely see uh jonathan at witzel's series despite you know probably being in a new universe i could still see it crossing over into the main timeline at some point in the future yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so thank you for that, Power Rangers Legacy. Um, Adam Perea, in uh, Power Rangers Cosmic Fury, how do you think the Rangers defeat Lord Zed this time? And do you want him to actually be destroyed or sent back to the original timeline? Considering he is the real Lord Zed from MMPR, but just reincarnated from when he was at his most powerful. Do you see him being destroyed or instead seeing him disappear back to the original timeline? We know that uh, actual Lord Zed was turned human at the end of Power Rangers in space and still exists. So if they destroy Zed, like nothing uh, will happen to the timeline. What do you think, Stuart? 
Well, what I wonder is um, with this, you know, Zed that's been ripped out of his timeline, was he like actually ripped out of the timeline? Or when he was reincarnated, did they take like the good Zed and reincarnate the evil Zed into the good Zed? So the good Zed is literally still there. Because if so, then I'd like to see that be how they defeat Zed. They get rid of the evil in him and they bring back the good Zed that we saw at the very end of In Space. Um, you know, that's that's how I think they could, you know, do that. Um, I do wonder if this is where Billy comes in um, for his um, his cameo, if we get that in Cosmic Fury. Um, I wonder if he's like the one that has the insight in regards to how to defeat Lord Zed. Like, I think the idea of him accidentally um, tapping into Rita instead of Zordon and sort of pulling her out. I wonder if he has a way of like, maybe the Lord Zed thing is kind of the same thing in a sense, right? Like the reincarnation monster maybe took that entity maybe and sort of, you know, of, of what that being was about, you know, Lord Zed back in the day and recreating them maybe from that. And I wonder if like Billy will come along and be like, oh, and we just suck the molecular structure out of this being's body. And, you know, like I, I wonder- Where's the polarities? Yeah, where else the polarities? <laughs> Send them back into the wavelength, you know, maybe, maybe something along those lines. Um, so maybe that's what we get. But um, so I do want to see him actually destroy, but I, I do think it'll be a combination of destroying and some sort of scientific gadget to make things put things back right. So, yeah. yeah. Um, the most talented man in the world is back. What's up, man? Um, what do you think when movies are what do you think when movies have a limited release? Basically, to build the anticipation rather than releasing it in all movie theaters not all movies will be a box office success no matter if the reviews are positive mix or negative should more movies have limited releases that way a sequel can still be possible example the 2015 action film sicario was released in limited theaters yet became a huge hit when it was spawned even a sequel so what do you think of movies when they have a limited release is it to basically build anticipation rather than releasing it to all movie theaters? I don't know. The vibe I always get from a limited release is that uh, movie theaters are just not confident with it. And so they don't want it taking up too much space for too much time. Hmm. I also and wonder, too, if it's like, um, like, I wonder if it's a combination of that and just maybe, maybe the production budget. You just maybe they don't have enough like funds to put it into a widescreen release and so they can only do a limited release of it is that a thing that, too that would make sense too uh I'm, i can't remember exactly how the logistics of it works but that that would make sense if the production budget uh was too high so they didn't have enough money afterwards to release it like you know in a yeah because i feel like because i usually feel like limited releases i don't want to say they're always like independent movies but I do think maybe it can sometimes be a testing of the waters to kind of see, like, is there even an audience for this? Um, and, you know, if it's well received um, other places, usually like at festivals and things like that, then sometimes they'll release it like limited. Uh, and if people actually come out to see it, then it, it can get the opportunity to come into a bigger release. And I think that probably goes in line with what you stated, right, Stuart, that if they do limited release it and it makes money, then maybe the theaters would be like, you know what, maybe we should open this up and give us a, a bigger screen release. So yeah, I, that, I think, that would make sense. So I do think it's a combination of the two, maybe. Um, Francois, 
with uh, there being a Spider-Man 4 in the works and Tom Holland returning, is this now produced by Sony or still with the MCU? Uh, I've heard from other YouTubers who are also movie reviewers saying that the end scene in No Way Home of Peter back in his classic red and Spidey suit swinging was a way for him to be released from the MCU, giving him a small soft reboot where Sony can pick up the character and use him for future projects. Please correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, you've talked a lot about uh, Sony in the past. Um, look, I... I will say this. I never really looked at it in the sense of it being a release from the MCU so that he can have a soft reboot over at Sony. Um, I look, I've always been under the impression that at some point in time, Tom Holland was going to be in Sony movies. Um, you know, like I felt like they were building up that Sony universe, that Spider-Man-less universe, so that Tom Holland has something to kind of step into. But... The more and more I think about it, Stuart, I think this Sony and Marvel team up is so incredibly successful. You know, yeah, maybe Sony probably wants Tom Holland, their Peter Parker back, but at the cost of what? You know, uh, how much money are you going to lose? Um, the team up with the MCU has been extremely beneficial. And trust me, it's not because you've been doing this on your own, okay? Um, and so there's a part of me, and I think Tom Holland too, really appreciates being in the MCU. So I'm not under the impression that uh, any longer that um, Tom Holland is going to be jumping over to the Sony universe, at least not anytime soon. So I'm, I still very much believe that Spider-Man 4 will be Sony and um, MCU collaboration once again. And if they do introduce a, um, uh, a Spider-Man over on Sony, I do think at some point in time, it'll be somebody else, um, whether that be uh, Andrew Garfield, uh, Toby McGuire again, or um, Miles Morales, which I've been really pu pushing around here. I've been saying for like the past year or two, Stuart, I feel like I've been screaming to the high heavens, Miles Morales is going to be live action. Like I'm fully under the belief that these Across the Spider-Verse movies are meant to bring him into our live action world. And I think Sony could have a nice little layup there if they need a Spider-Man for sort of their universe if they want to. Um, so that's just what I'm under the impression. That's just speculation on my part. Um, but I, I, I've i never really saw that uh, scene as a release of the MCU. I think we're going to get still another Sony MCU collaboration here. But what, what do you think, Stuart? Do you think that there's a chance that Tom finally goes over the Sony or what? Um. I definitely think when uh, the last Spider-Man movie, No Way Home, was made, they uh, made that ending the way it was so it could be a possibility, but I don't think they made it with the intention of, oh, this is definitely 100% confirmed that he's going back to Sony. Like kind of open-ended like, Yeah, very open-ended, exactly. Um, and I think it was all just going to depend on this movie's success and Sony's success going forward. So far, No Way Home, again, working with Disney, did really well. Um, we know that Tom Holland has at least one more movie under his, uh, or that he's contracted for he might be contracted for more than that but we know of at least one more mcu movie that he's he, that he's uh contracted for so we'll have to see how that goes um but given that the last couple of sony projects haven't been the most successful you know those being morbius and venom 2 um you know it's if, if Sony continues to not be as successful as they want to be, uh, I don't see Spider-Man leaving the MCU anytime soon. I see them continuing to make the deal of keeping Tom Holland in the MCU because that currently is what's making them the most amount of money. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, everybody's uh, happy and fat over there uh, yeah. with what's, uh, what they've created. Uh, Kurt, oh, were you going to say something? Oh, I was just going to say, and it's funny too, because I thought for a while that they were going to try to tie the Sony universe into the MCU, um, mm. you know, until watching Spider-Man No Way, or actually, no, until watching Venom 2, I should say. Uh because that almost looked like the, what they were doing with Morbius, the fact that they had, you know, Michael Keaton's vulture in the trailer. Uh, and so it just kind of, it felt like behind the scenes, they still weren't sure what they wanted to do with that. And so it was just kind of like a last minute, okay, we changed our mind. We're not doing this. Yeah, if, if it honestly felt that way, because yeah, if you look at the end credit for Venom 2, right, he gets teleported into the MCU world right at the very end of that. And yeah. And we're like, oh, it's going to happen, right? We're going to get this massive team up and we're going to blend both worlds together. And then literally when we get to the end of No Way Home, like he's not in this movie at all until the end credit scene. And then he just gets his ass thrown back to where he was at. <laughs> um, and literally the idea was just, hey, we just we just need this. We just need the symbiote, guys. Like, can we just get the symbiote here into the MCU? That's the real purpose of this and i'm just like well, what was the they really went out of their way just to make that happen they really did yeah um let's see here kurt marino um one question for stewart what are some of your favorite moments uh from the four-part finale of dino fury what you guys okay definitely that zor battle uh at the very end with the rangers on foot that was so freaking cool i also kind of like um that they went with kind of my idea of how i would end the uh a power ranger season before the year 2025 which is the idea of having like the new rathconians like living on earth as a way to kind of build up the idea of aliens living on earth becoming a common thing i really like that they're they kind of built uh they're building into the uh spd timeline basically um mm. What else did I like about it? Um, God, you know, it's actually been a minute since I watched them all, uh, watched the four-parter, so I'm trying to remember what else happened. As cheesy as it was, I did like the uh, Rathcon general changing her mind after seeing, like, the good that people can do even in, like, disasters. It was cheesy. It was not directed the best but the overall message they were trying to get across i thought was good so i didn't mind how it wasn't executed as great as it could have been no i definitely understand i definitely understand you there man um let's see here um let's see here one question for adam in case stewart isn't available what other movie director besides michael bay do you think ruined two franchises oh jeez um, <laughs> um you know i was gonna I, I don't know about um director but um i was just gonna say eric wallace from the flash <laughs> just i i don't know if maybe i feel like maybe he single-handedly has ruined the the flash as it goes towards its end um what else is he uh, uh ruined though yeah I don't, I don't know what else he's ruined though i'm trying uh, to think of like two other franchises that's a hard one you can you think of any story uh, i can think of a producer uh abby arad's ruined uh two spider-man franchises three if you count the animated spider-man series oh geez yeah that's a good one too i'm trying to see if there's uh something on google here like um directors that might have um ruined uh good movies but yeah 
if we lived in the Scream universe, uh, and if you ask certain fans, I'm sure they would tell you that Ryan Johnson has ruined, ruined both the Stab franchise and the Star Wars franchise. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah, maybe. Uh, um, uh, yeah, that's a good one. Um, yeah, it's, I, I can't think of anything else off the top of my head, Kurt, so... If Thank you guys you know. saw Scream 5, you'll know what I'm talking about. <laughs> There's like this joke in the movie. Yeah. Yeah, I, I missed that one, Stuart. I'm sorry. I haven't I haven't Ooh. caught up to the Scream ones yet, man. Ooh, what was the last one you saw? Like two? Oh. <laughs> yeah, like two? Okay. So, yeah, third one's not my favorite, but uh, I really like uh, four, five, and six were really good. Okay, you know, I'm, I I want to check them out. Like five and six look really good. Um, it feels like it's definitely revived the um, the franchise for sure. And the girlfriend and I always talk about doing a, a scream marathon at some point in time. So that'd be totally a fun idea to uh, do during Halloween. Honestly, when your kid gets you know to that age where you think he's he's ready for horror movies, Scream might actually be like a perfect like first horror movie to kind of ease him into the world of horror. Oh, yeah, that might be a good one, actually. Yeah, that might be a good one. Yeah. Um, it looks like this article that I found, um, GameRant.com, has a couple franchises. And it feels like, I don't know if they're blaming, like, the director for actually leaving after the first movie. But, like, <laughs> they have, like, Pirates of the Caribbean, and they talk about how big the first one was that was directed by... Uh, wasn't the first one? I thought I thought it was directed by Jerry Brockheimer, wasn't it? Or uh, was it Joel Schumacher? No, I can't remember who was it directed by. I'm pretty sure it wasn't Joel Schumacher, uh, but let me look that up. Was it Jerry, I think it was Jerry Brockheimer, wasn't it? Maybe. Uh, it was. Drum drum roll, please. Gore. Yeah. Uh, oh, Verbinski. Okay. Yeah. I wonder why they have these on up here on this list. This is an interesting one. I don't he know. Directed Rango as well. Oh, and he also directed the Lone Ranger. <laughs> um, all right, let's go ahead and move on to the next one. We got Michael. What's up, Michael? Um, Need for Speed the movie is probably the best game movie adaption I've ever seen. Uh, to this day, it pumps my adrenaline up. The action scenes were on point, and the story was goals. Uh, driving across the country with your hot girl, your crew, and to race the race of all races. Uh, what do you guys think of this movie? Is it underrated and un or underappreciated or Fast and the Furious ripoff? Is that the one with uh, Jesse from uh, um, Breaking Bad? Yeah, I actually yeah. never saw this movie. <laughs> I never saw this one either. Um, man, Michael, I gotta check it out then. Um, sounds pretty legit. Um, you know, it's funny that he brings up Need for Speed though. I think Need for Speed was a racing movie. wasn't It was a racing video game. Um, and so for me, uh, the idea of bringing a racing game to life was always like, I always wanted to know how they would do it. Um, Need for Speed was definitely an interesting take. This past week, Stuart, I don't know if you know, but Gran Turismo um, dropped the trailer for their upcoming video game movie adaption. Uh, and I used to love playing Gran Turismo. I am in, I I am not sure how to feel necessarily about it. Uh, have you checked out the trailer by any chance? Did you know that there was a Gran Turismo uh, trailer? I didn't. Yeah, I didn't even know there was one, but uh, I'm definitely going to put that on my watch list right now. It's got David Harbor in it. Uh, it also has God who's playing opposite of him. 
something I can't remember who's playing opposite of him. Someone says I, I want to say Orlando Bloom, but I don't. I really don't think it's Orlando Bloom. Why am I um, Gran Turismo movie or cast? Um, I will say it's very yeah. Orlando Bloom uh, is in here. Oh wow, um, yeah. David Harbor, um, and it's the idea of sort of a champion in the video game realm of Gran Turismo, getting the opportunity to compete in a real race. Like, it's almost like they're taking like the the video game stars and like putting them in like a competition, like the best 10 players in the world, put them in a competition to teach them how to drive real racing cars. And the winner of that competition gets placed in like a legit race. Um, and so it's an interesting concept, the idea of bringing like a, a actual video gamer to the track. Um, so there are concepts of it that I'm fascinated in, but sometimes I'm like lame, this is a terrible concept, but uh, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I kind of want to give it a shot, but, um, I, I would recommend checking it out if you can. I'm intrigued by that concept. It's not just making a generic racing movie. It's acknowledging Gran Turismo is a game within this universe. Um, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I like, you know what? This is an intriguing concept. Uh, I'll definitely, yeah, yeah I, it's, I'm, it's, I'll definitely check this movie out when it comes out. Yeah, it's an interesting concept, but I do think it could be a gimmicky one that sounds so unbelievable. But the way that they make it seems like they make like they're really competing to try and learn to become a racer as best as you can, you know, for these yeah. people that sit at home and just play video games all day. <laughs> but I don't know. Check it out, though. It, it looked like an interesting trailer. I know it doesn't really answer your need for speed question, Michael. I apologize, but we both have not seen the movie. But I do like the actor involved. So and I do remember seeing um uh, I do remember seeing trailers for it, thinking to myself, you know, I guess I never knew what the story of Need for Speed really was. It just always went to the, the the arcade and played it, you know? So the fact that they have given it a story or there was a story to begin with, that's kind of intriguing to me. So maybe it's something I should uh, worth checking out for sure. Yeah. I, I got to imagine now if they do a Call of Duty movie, are they going to do one that starts with just a neckbeard just chilling, enjoying his game of Call of Duty when suddenly some government agents show up and go, you're the best Call of Duty player. You've been drafted. And just seem like, wait, what? Come on. <laughs> Yo, that's such a great, that's a great concept for a Call of Duty movie. He's like just forced to like now fight in the military. It's like, I never even finished. passed gym class. <laughs> No, he's like a SEALs member teammate. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. I love I love that concept, dude. I really do. Uh copyright, copyright, copyright that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I love it. Um this might be we'll see. I, I would say this might be the last one because it's getting kind of late around here. It's 10 o'clock here where I'm at and I want to spend some time with the family. So this might be the last one here, but uh, we'll see how we feel after it's Stuart. Jackson Peterson, why do DC Arrowverse is better than a DCEU. Ooh, putting them on blast. Let's see what you got, Jackson. That's because the DCEU wanted too much too fast. You have to do an origin story or something like that for people to feel for a character and get emotional and stuff. But instead of doing that, they threw many well-known characters in one movie and hope for the best. TV, in my opinion, was just better suited for comic book stories. Example, we've spent more screen time with Thea Queen and Arrow than some of the characters we've had in the DCEU that didn't really have enough screen time to be explored and developed. 
There's nothing, there's nothing movies could ever do that to close that gap. Unless you're the MCU and has Kevin Feige as the GOAT, right? So there, there is, it is possible. It is possible. A director like Thea Queen in the Arrowverse had more total screen time than characters in the DCEU like Maxwell Lord, Stephen Trevor, and Ryan Chow. To be fair, Ryan Chow himself also didn't get proper development in the Arrowverse. Speaks volumes to the type of universe you can create on the small screen. Can you imagine if these shows were allowed to use bigger characters like the main Justice League, like Batman himself? The scale of a television comic book universe could have the potential to be even more huge, honestly. It already did for the first decade of the Oliver Queen era. If you told me when I was a kid that we'd see DC characters like Elongated Man, Green Arrow, Adam, etc. on screen together in live action universe, I wouldn't believe you. I just couldn't. I just can't flesh out characters out enough in a movie universe unless it's very, very long term. Even then, actors are expensive and movies are expensive. Sorry for sharing my thoughts on DC TV compared to the DCEU films. I thought this would be fun to talk about. Um, yeah, no, definitely very fun to talk about, Jackson. Thank you so much for your comments here. But look, it is possible, though. It is possible. Uh, the MCU has created some incredible characters that people very much have been emotionally impacted to um, and really connected with. And you see the loss of these characters in the MCU as of right now with not having our Chris Evans as Captain America or our Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man. They're very much, was very much the anchor. And so, yes, while I definitely do think having a Kevin Feige on your side definitely helps. I do think that there is a possibility that the DCU could also accomplish that at some point in time. I think I'm definitely going to give James Gunn the opportunity to certainly create that world um, because I do think if anything has uh, what James Gunn has accomplished just with his Guardians of the Galaxy movies alone, he understands the importance of those um connective tissues to the characters and making the character and the story that emphasis um so uh, i do think that there's a possibility of the dcu being able to do that as far as character growth and you know character appearances but look it took also the mcu 10 years to achieve that um as well in their own capacities the same amount of time that it definitely took that hourverse to achieve what it certainly did clearly they've all told significantly different stories but i do think we live in the world where the dcu can get to that point but up until this point Stuart, dc television has been kicking their ass would you agree or what oh yeah um and i think like the biggest you know thing that he brings up that i think was the biggest like downfall of the dcu EU, unfortunately was they tried to play catch up way too fast way too um, fast yeah and i think with the Arrowverse, you know it had the same benefit the mcu did which is that it took its it was able to take its time building its world instead of just you know arrow episode two suddenly you know we're introducing the flash the hawks uh you know superman they you know they didn't try to do anything like that yeah, and I think one of the things we've we've kind of always said here, and I think Jackson appreciates it too, is like I like to think that we give the DC television love for what is created. Like a lot of people can shit on Crisis on Infinite Earths all they want to, but can you believe we got Crisis on Infinite Earths on <laughs> Alvarez television show? Like what? Um, the fact that you know Berlanti and Mark Guggenheim were able to just create this massive Arrowverse. Um, have staples that have changed people's careers like Stephen Amell, Grant Gustin, um, Melissa Benoist, right? Um, they are sort of this generation's 
versions of those characters as we know it. Um, and the fact that they have been able to uh, bring all these vast supporting characters to life for people, just regular general audience people, members to, to learn and know of, I think has been nothing but impactful. And honestly, I think did even the DCEU some favors in the sense of incorporating all these movies over the past several years into their crisis on infinite earths, like literally connecting all the pieces for the DCEU um, at the time. So the Arrowverse was very much way ahead of its time. Uh, and I, I would definitely agree with you, did a lot better than what the DCEU was was trying to accomplish. Um, and not to say that they couldn't, but yeah, they stepped all over their own feet, got cold feet, very reactionary when they certainly didn't need to. And like you, like you guys mentioned, the idea of just moving way too fast. Um, so I think they were more of a detriment to themselves, not that they couldn't have achieved it, but I think they were just more of a detriment to themselves. Whereas when you look at television, they just they just had it all together they knew what they wanted to achieve and then they stuck they stuck with it and look what it took them so so absolutely so i'm, I'm glad you brought that up jackson um let's see here um you know what so i think that might i think we'll end on that note i think we'll end on that note today that sounds um, good um uh, if anything jack daniels uh from jack daniels all the way up to Nicole Robertson. Uh, we will, in fact, uh, be getting to your questions. Um, if anything, maybe myself, maybe me and Stuart will do, um, or Stuart will, maybe we'll tackle live your questions for you guys. Um, probably try and record something for you guys tomorrow and have it up for you guys on Tuesday. Um, so look forward to that, uh, and we'll definitely get to the remainder of questions. But thank you so much, guys, for everybody submitting your questions and getting caught up uh, this week with us. Um, but yeah, that will end our live viewer questions. Uh, how do I stop this music? Uh, there we go. Boom. <clears throat> awesome. Um, all right, guys. Um, yeah, other than that, I think that's going to do it for us here. Um we got any live episode? We got any episodes this week, Stuart? Superman and Lois uh, got an episode this week? It does indeed. So, yeah, you'll definitely see my review for, uh, I believe it'll be episode eight. Uh, I believe I'll have it up hopefully Thursday. Hopefully on Thursday. All right. We got uh, Simon in the house. What's up, Simon? Simon, good to see you. Um, and then we got Datilla in here. It says, hey, Adam, are you free Thursday? Maybe we can talk about me possibly doing wrestling reviews once a month. Hey, I'd be totally down for that, Datilla. We would love to um, have you on board. You know, we've been looking for some other team members, and wrestling is something that we've always wanted to kind of introduce. I mean, we talk about wrestling all the time, you and I, uh, and wanted to do more and kind of work closely together. So if anything, um, yeah, we, we're definitely considering bringing wrestling pay-per-view reviews uh, to the channel once a month. We've been doing predictions around here. Uh, and so we'd like to have a little bit of a follow-up uh, to those events also. And then, you know, Datilla can brag about how she kicks my ass in predictions all the time. Also, So, uh, yeah. Awesome. Um, so, more content. Yeah, more content for the channel. Um, so Mandalorian is officially done, although I do want to do a Mandalorian season three review in total. Um, Gotham Knights continues. I believe there is a brand new episode this week, so I'll definitely be recording a Gotham Knights episode for you guys this week. I do need to get on to Titans. They did drop the last few episodes. Have you checked out Titans this season? 
Oh man, I I have it. I I started in the beginning of it, but I haven't seen like past episode three or four. Okay, uh, whichever I, one had the zombies, that was the last one I watched. Okay, so yeah, so they they did have dropped their final episode. So uh, that if anything, that's probably next on my list of the series that I gotta watch so I can review that final part to it. Um, and then I do believe the Flash has another episode this week. Am I, is that correct? Uh, I, think, I think it's a leaf so. episode this week. Yeah. Um, so hopefully um, Indy will be getting you guys something also in that regards. So, and, go ahead. Speaking of The Flash, uh, this last episode was also surprisingly <laughs> really good, um, okay. which really threw me off. I figured all the effort really just went into that one episode with uh, Green Arrow. But uh, no, the episode afterwards, it's actually continuing that momentum. It's like going to be a four-part season finale. Uh, so far, part one, I'm already hooked, and I'm really excited to uh, see what's uh, how this is going to c- uh, conclude eventually. Uh, yeah, I'm, well, hopefully it will. Maybe they've saved the, the best for last, um, you know, uh, really kind of building up that momentum to the finale. So uh, we'll see how the remainder of this season goes. I definitely need to catch up for sure. Um, but I'm also going to be trying to be more mindful of um, I got to see what other series are upcoming, if anything, that uh, we might want to bring to the channel also. Um, and I really want to start doing more movie reviews here. Guys, listen, you know, we we, we are doing some recruiting here for A Plus Hero Report. Uh, if you're a big movie goer, if you, got, if you go to the movies like on a weekly basis uh, and you constantly watch uh, brand new movies when they're released and you feel like you can articulate your thoughts, uh, pros and cons and your, your thoughts about uh, your review of the film, we definitely would love to go ahead and talk to you about maybe doing like non-spoiler reviews or maybe even spoiler reviews for um the movies that are certainly dropping on a weekly basis so if you're again you're, if you're big movie goers uh if you love talking movies and getting your point across uh we'd love to certainly talk uh with you so definitely go ahead and hit us up there is a, a email account uh, that you guys can follow us or contact us in the comment section box below uh would you be down to do a guardians of the galaxy review tomorrow i have not seen it yet oh okay yeah uh, um I may you try to fit uh, Guardians of the Galaxy review on the channel tomorrow if I have time. Um, are, you, are you doing non-spoiler or spoiler? That's I'll up do to you. a non-spoiler in case uh, you want to do like a spoiler review later. Um, that's fine. Um, yeah, so if you want to do a spoiler or non-spoiler review for Guardians of the Galaxy just to give your overall thoughts on it, yeah, feel free to. You can drop that in any time this week if you want to. You don't have to yeah, you don't have to wait for me. Um, and then if anything, I'll, I'll try and do my best to go and see it this week. Um, and then maybe we'll do a spoiler review sometime next weekend. Awesome. All right. Yeah. So we'll try and plan that. Um, but um, other than that, guys, Stuart, if uh, people want to find you on social media, man, where can they find you? You guys can find uh, follow me at TurboStu01 over on Twitter and on Instagram. Uh, if you guys want to follow us on social media, right up here at the top at A Plus Opinions. Very active over on uh, Facebook. Catch us on Twitter as well as Instagram. Uh, we do have a Discord forum community up there for you guys. There is a link in the description box below. If you want to talk more topics um, besides what we discussed here, um, you certainly feel free to join us at our Discord. Uh, we definitely have a good time over there discussing the plethora of other topics as well. Um, and if you haven't subscribed to our channel, hit the subscribe button, guys. Hit that like uh, bell also, or that like button if you appreciated this week's episode. Um, we actually have a brand new logo that's currently in the works as well. So hopefully we'll be uh, revealing it to you guys here within the next couple of weeks ourselves. So a lot of big moving pieces. Uh, and remember, anytime that you help 
support this channel. Trust me when I say it definitely does go um, to a good place. I mean, look, you know, we're streaming right now, for instance, Stuart, right? We're streaming right now on StreamYard. Even though I've got like a 1080, you know, 1080p uh, camera, this only streams in 720. You know, the idea of us having to move up to StreamYard is like an additional $20 a month. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, by your guys' support, uh, we might be able to even bring better production uh, to the show on a monthly basis. So um, we're definitely looking to go ahead and change things around here for you guys and uh, putting our best foot forward. Um, so we continue to appreciate your support uh, because we wouldn't be here without you guys. So thank you so much once again. Um, and that's going to do it for us here. We'll certainly see you guys later on throughout the week with new content. And then again on Hero Report next Sunday. So until then, guys, do us a big favor. As always, take care of yourselves. Take care of each other and keep it A+. We'll talk to you guys later. Bye.